These are Brad Miller, former battalion commander of 101st Airborne. You're talking about people that understand the kinetic fight as well as anybody. I've always been that odd guy, yeah, the information guy. But there's a reason I believe that God put me there because it's an understanding of the value and purpose of how much we can do in the context of the First Amendment. See, what really has happened here is we've seen America stand up into an informal structure which we could easily call First Amendment militias. You've organized together, you've, you've done your research, you push out truth, and it's been destroying the, one of the critical information structures that they have to keep people obedient and in their seats. Unfortunately, we still have one major, one major territory to conquer. And that's what I think ultimately all of this leads to. And it's the church. Our churches as, are as good ones. There's a lot of bad ones. And many of them are closed during COVID con. And I believe that was part of a judgment. But we're still missing that black robe element in our churches. The willingness of our preachers and pastors to be so bold as to speak out against the political tyranny, to speak out of that in terms of biblical responsibility and to truly lean in and be willing to put it all on the line, all of it on the line. God doesn't waste time with that, the, the weakness of a church, and yet he's rebuilding the church in every single one of us that's here today. And this is the point of preparing the saints for the work of the ministry. It's here that we go forward and we spread the word and we have the empowerment of, and blessings of, of heaven and the gospel to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, and to do greater works than he. That's scriptural to the letter. And, and when we embrace that as our mission first, and we wage war both in heaven and on earth, then we're starting to understand the power of what we say in terms of the First Amendment, because words have the power of life and death. When we get to the point where we have to depend upon the Second Amendment, that's a pretty bad moment. And I think every soldier that's been in combat would agree that when we start to have to get to trigger pulling, which is a function of war, but you know that that's, there's no more dialogue left. We have not finished this fight of a First Amendment yet. We have not completed the, what we can do. We haven't really touched the zenith of where we can be. Because when we empower ourselves with the authorities that are given to us by our Father, and we step into this world truly as the children of the Most High. We arrive at a point where this world is transformed. We walk and people see it. They don't have to ask it. You don't have to evangelize. You simply walk and be in the presence and they experience something different because you're walking with the love and the glory of Christ within. And as we stand there, there is, this, there is a moment there that the world begins to look and says, what do I see? And you can say, let me show you. It's the greatest thing that will ever change your life, it will ever do for you, and it will change your life. God is calling a whole range of people right now. We have the prayer warriors, we have the bakers, we have the, the cooks like Jim Conley. I mean this sincerely. We have the we have the people that are working the, the hard hard jobs on a daily basis and, and really using their gifts and talents in a way that God leads them. We also have the real soldiers. And it's important to understand that everybody has a place in this army and in this call. So no matter where you are, I think the one thing is that kind of wrapped this up. There's a very distorted view of what it is to be a warrior. And it's been very shaped by a lot of 
cool guy action on TV and Hollywood that really distorts from who we are and who even the guys they represent are. You will find some of the most humble, most loving, most caring people you will ever meet are people that come from the special operations community, they come from our military, because their lives are so different and they've had to value things so much differently because they're moving, they're on deployments, and the little things like the love of family, the love of children goes to the top of the list. And it's always come with a sacrifice. Every single one of us now has a duty, and the duty is before us, and it's really quite simple. We have to seek that intimate relationship with God. You have to get to know Him, to know His face, to know His voice, to listen and to be guided by Him. He's calling every one of us right now, and He's not wasting time. We have to value our families and value the covenants that it makes to build a family. And that starts with marriage and that goes to children. And we have to value all of that. We have to value our communities. Love thy neighbor. One of the primary tenets that Jesus gave us. Love thy neighbor. But we also have to value something else. It, doesn't, it says love our enemy, but it doesn't say allow our enemy to turn us into a doormat. Okay? And that's where the strength has to come in. And you have to find your way to fight. And we use that word fight. I've, and people will say, well, you want me to pick up a gun? It's like, that's not what I'm saying. There's a fight that God has for you. I don't know what that mission is, but God knows. And when you lean into that and we start being defiant to the system that's trying to take away our rights and we start being consumed by the passions of what kingdom is and what it represents, understanding truly who we are, you are the children of the Most High. There is no reason to ever bow. There's no reason to ever feel fear. There's no reason to ever step back from the fight. This is who we are. We were put here in this time and this place for just net this time, just a time such as this. So I don't care what your physical fitness level is. I don't care what your physical appearance looks like. What I care and what God cares about is what's in your heart. Because the most fierce and ruthless warriors are those that truly commit and love that light that what Jesus gave us on the cross and understand that they have to bring that victory into this world. So to quote Paul Cantrell, and he said this yesterday, and it was brilliant. We have to stop praying for victory and start praying from victory and realize we have already won. So with that, we good? We ready? Oh, look, the lines peeled down. <laughs> you guys all fed now, and you got to, like, good, I wasn't there for that. I can get into the real stuff. Okay. Jaron, where are you? There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you a, a gentleman that I was introduced to by one of my followers. I love this man. I love what he represents. I love his heart. I love the fact that he reminds us of what a real captain is in the military. He's on fire. He served two tours in Afghanistan. He's a West Point graduate. To understand what that means, it means his commission was given to him by Congress from the moment he finished West Point, and he stepped down from that to pursue Jesus and his love for this country. Please welcome Jaron Jackson. That was deliberate. That was deliberate. Hey, uh, I want to talk about the law, if we can. 
but I want to do it from a position of Jesus Christ. If you are willing to read, please raise your hand. And you, oh shoot, there's a lot of people. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we'll, we'll come back to that. So I'm going to have people who have internet access on their cell phones to look up their state constitutions. Okay. So go to Google or whatever browser you use and look up state constitution ballotpedia. Ballotpedia. B A L L O T P E D I A. Ballotpedia. I want to first start, if I can, with the Great Commission. Jesus, after he physically rose from the grave, which is important because some people say that it was only in spirit, after he physically rose from the grave, this is Matthew 28, KJV 18 through 20, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, not some of the things, not half of the things, not a lot of the things, all of the things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. The Black's Law definition, Black's Law is the dictionary that courts use, judges use, lawyers use. It's, it's the dictionary that you use to figure out what words mean. The definition of right means power of free action. The reason why government can't touch your rights is because that's what Jesus gave you to do stuff. So when you have your rights, it comes from the Great Commission. Whenever he says, all power is given to me, go, that's your commission. So when you have that commission, that is now where you get your power from. Does that make sense? This has never been explained to me in this deliberate fashion, so that's why I'm doing it from the king on down, okay? So if everyone understands that, now I can start to get into some cool stuff, because that's awesome, but now I can start to get into, cool, into, into some cool stuff. So I want to give a hat tip, Dave Jose, my teacher, but I also want to look at the fundamental principles of the law. Our founding fathers loved Jesus. They read their Bibles. They created a government that is a constitutional republic. When they declared independence, Scott was talking about how he starts with the Declaration of Independence. In the law, that declaration was a divorce decree. In the law, that was them saying, we're done with you. And if you actually look at what the declaration includes, it includes evidence. Thomas Jefferson wrote the words, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And then he went on, fact, 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 fact. What he's doing, he's establishing his claims. He's telling the king where he sucks and why we're not going to be with y'all anymore. And then at the very end of the declaration, he even talks about the, our own British brethren aren't even giving us justice. So no one's giving us justice. If no one's giving you justice and you're telling them you're not giving me justice, they didn't have any bar attorneys. There was no law school. There was no one telling them they could do something. They just did it. And why did they do it? Because they had their rights from Jesus. When we create government, we create government. We are people. 
people have all political power is someone from anyone from Oklahoma, except for me. Back in the back, do you want to read? Where's, what, what do you say? Oh, that's a great excuse. Texas. Anybody from Texas? Anybody from Texas want to read? Who's, who wants to read? Very first person who wants to read. Okay, right there. Gray shirt. Where are you from? Missouri. Could you please read for me? Pull up your state constitution. And I'm on the fly. Have I, have, did I talk to you before this? I don't even know your name. God bless you. I'm not trying to offend you. I just don't know who you are. Um, go to uh, your Missouri constitution and read... Missouri, read, go to your Bill of Rights, which is Article 1, and then read Section 1 for me, please. There. Section 1, that all political is vested in and derived. Start over, start over. Article, this is Missouri Constitution, Article 1, Section 1. that all power is vested in and derived from the people, that all government of right originates from the people, is upon their will only, and is instituted solely for the good of the whole. Any of you guys ever heard that? Do you believe it? Okay, we'll get there. Folks, what I do is I teach the fundamental law. I look at what the law is. Every single person in government has sworn an oath to that. Even people in Oklahoma agree with that. People in Tennessee agree with that. This is the beauty of what our founders did. When they took the crown off of King George, they busted it into a gazillion pieces and they scattered it all over the place. And what has happened to us, does someone want to read from, for me from the Bible, Luke eleven fifty two? Anybody? I like audience participation. That way you know it's not me. Back in the back. Way in the back. Luke eleven fifty two. And while he's getting it, shout it out like you mean it. Luke eleven fifty two. Do you guys hear that? You want me to read it? Yeah, yeah, amen. Uh, so Luke eleven fifty two. Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. I want to talk to you about something incredibly critical that is currently blocking every single one of you from understanding what your rights actually do. Would you permit me to do that, please? No. <laughs> in, in the Bible, I'm going to go to... Um, now I'm going to go to Luke chapter, I will read it, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, I'm going to start with verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is, God. In the law, because Jesus was a teacher, he was teaching the law, 
He's the Messiah, so he's the king. In the law, what Jesus just did was rebutted a bad presumption of law. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and called Jesus good, uh, good uh, master. So the guy calls Jesus good master. And Jesus said, whoa, why are you calling me good? There's no one good but God. Now, of course, Jesus isn't calling himself not God, and he's not calling himself not good. Jesus is denying the man's belief. The man has in his own heart a belief that is not true. But the man is acting as though the belief is true. Now, if you went with me, I'm, I'm going with this, people. Don't, don't let me lose you on this. This is going to go back to your rights, and we're going to crush government, and we're going to solve all the problems. We just, we just got to know what the basics are. When we go to Psalm chapter 14, Psalm chapter 14 says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside, and they all become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. My point is, the guy came to Jesus looking for something. He had a bad understanding of the law. Because he had a bad understanding of the law, Jesus corrected him and shut him down. Story goes on to say, when he goes, don't kill, don't murder, honor your parents. He goes, yeah, yeah, I did all that stuff. I did all that stuff. And then what's Jesus do? Sell everything you got, follow me. And the guy went away because his heart was bad. When Jesus asks questions, they're always designed to go to the motive always designed to go to the motive, never the head. It's always going to reveal your heart. Your government right now will do things that is unlawful, but will always be presumed to be lawful. Do you want me to give you an example? I'm going to look up the original Social Security Act of 1935. This right here is how the government traffics children using your Social Security money. And I'm going to prove it to you. If you want to follow along, Look up the original Social Security Act of 1935. And this right here will get bullets put in heads. So, I'm, you know, we're streaming, so here we go. <laughs> this is what, this is a, this is a multi, this is the answer to a multi-billion dollar child trafficking. And I'm going to tell it to you right here on stage. Look up the original Social Security Act of 1935. I'm going to type it in. Original Social Security Act, 1935. And we're no, uh, just, uh, I, I typed in Social Security Act, 1935. It pops up. Uh, you want to go down to Title 11. You want to look at the actual statute, not a summary, not stupid uh, Title 42, but you want to go to uh, Social Security Act of Title or of 1935, you want to go to Title 11, Section 11016D. It's not on the current Social Security website, by the way. And you'll see why. Because it tells people that they're not allowed to use the Social Security Act to take the charge of a child. The original legislative intent of the original Social Security Act of 1935, Title 11, 
section 1101-6D says that nothing in this act can be used for a federal officer, representative, or agent to take the charge of a, charge of a, uh, charge of a child against any of the exceptions of one parent or anyone operating in loco parentis to, the, to any child. That means when in 1935 they passed the Social Security Trust Fund, which is nothing more than about raising money. That's the whole reason it exists. And so because it's raising money, they're going to give benefits to people, like a church. A church gives provision for the poor, the orphans, the widows, the sick, right? So this is government presuming to do the job of the church. And what did they do in Title 42? The Social Security Act, they take your kids. Your kids are your liberty interest. And right now, there are children being abducted, stolen, kidnapped, taken from their parents. And when that happens, federal monies go to states with everyone that's involved. Every attorney, every judge, every bailiff, every child uh, guardian ad litem, even attorneys that represent the parents get money. And that's 42 U.S. Code, Section 647, Payments to States. Anybody involved in the child, anybody involved in CPS, DHS, uh, you know, um, advisory courts, child protective anything is getting federal money, and that federal money is coming from the Social Security Act. So whenever you pay money into the Social Security Fund, hello boomers, hello retirees, the reason why you guys aren't getting uh, COLA adjustments is because that money is going to pay for the government to take kids. And as long as the kids are not with the parents, the money flows. So if you take a kid at one and that kid is out until 18, that's 17 years of cash flow. That's a revenue stream. And whenever you call them gay, whenever they've got like stuff going on in their head, now the therapist is getting money. There's more money when the diagnosis happens. You can start to see how this thing piles up. Now, here's the thing, and I'm going to get back to our rights. Because in every single state constitution, you're granted the right to liberty. Excuse me, you're not granted. Your right, to, your right to liberty is secure. And because your right to liberty is secure, children are a liberty interest of the parent. So when someone comes to the parent and says, you, we got an anonymous tip that you're doing bad stuff with your kids, you can't have an anonymous tip. You have to have someone who's sworn under penalty of perjury under oath or affirmation before anyone can deprive you of your liberty interest. That's the presumption. That's the good, that's the rich young ruler making a presumption. We have received an anonymous tip. You can't do that. You have to have sworn affidavit. You have to have someone. You see how there is a presumption and there must be responded to with the truth. Does that make sense? We have never been taught this. Which means that anytime the government does something, you, Christians, patriots, people who want peace to just be left alone, you believe the good faith of the government. You believe the government is doing you good. And because you believe the government is doing you good, you never consider the fact that they're unlawful, and you never consider the fact that you can rebut them. You never think that you can tell them no. You never think that you can say, you're not doing what's right. Let me blow your mind again. Let's just talk taxes. Let's just go straight for it, shall we? I'm off script, so whatever you guys want to talk about. In the law, there's something called positive law and non-positive law. 
positive law has gone through both houses of Congress, signed by the president, and now it signs, stands as, as a federal law. In the law, positive law is evidence of the law, meaning it's true. Non-positive law has not been passed by Congress, and it, it stands as prima facie, which means on its face, it looks like evidence. It looks like the law. When you are doing your taxes, when the IRS is coming to you, they are presuming Title 26. Title 26 has never been passed by Congress. And because Title 26 has never been passed by Congress, the government is presuming what is unlawful every single time. Every single time. And because they're doing this, and you don't know it, and you don't know your rights, and you don't know the fundamental law, they take your stuff. And when people argue, when people protest these taxes, they go to the tax court. Did you know that the tax court is not a court? Did you know that it is an administrative proceeding where your rights are deprived and they go directly against your right to liberty and property as secured in the Constitution? But if you don't know that, then when they say, oh, well, is this a tax issue? You can look on the stupid U.S. tax court website. They'll say, all tax issues go to the tax court. Oh, well, I guess that's true, right? So you go to this tax court, it ain't a court. It's an administrative tribunal. And you'll be like, well, here's the evidence and this. Like, We don't care about your evidence. We don't care about that junk because we ain't a court. We don't care. Now you can start to see where you have been presumed you have law that's coming to you, coming against you, that's not even based in the Constitution. Is this making sense? So I want to I want to explain the basics because I do the fundamentals of law and I got to my position based on pain, based on a lot of tribulation, based on a lot of money lost, a couple death threats, and a really, you know, a really a lot of pain. And so from that. The, the tribulation, the Bible says that through your affliction, you have brought me to your word. Psalm 119, read that entire chapter. It's in the middle of the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the word of God. And you will get more law education in Psalm 119 than you would at any law school, because all it does is talk about equity, righteousness, justice, right? All it does is talk about what the letter, the jot, and tittle is. When we are Americans, when you are made in God's image, you have rights that are outside of government. There was a gentleman in the back. I took off his hat. So if you can imagine a hat here in my left hand, you and I create government. In government, we are going to put judicial power. We're going to put legislative power. We'll put executive power. What do we not put in government? Our rights. Think about the Heisman Trophy. Your rights are given to you by God, and they are outside of government. Which means when government is writing something, they can't write something about your rights. So when the government presumes something, you need to know what your rights are to tell them to shut up and go away. Does that make sense? I care very much about election integrity. I believe, and we're on platforms, I believe the uh, 2020 election was stolen! And so when you look at what things are going on, in the law, there's a lot of people that talk about fraud. 
But fraud speaks about the motive. If you're going to try to prove fraud, you have to know what someone thinks. But I'm not really concerned about that. I'm concerned about the fact that I'm the boss and they're acting like they can just do whatever they want. So what I would do and what I encourage people to do is to look at the proper form of government. Elections are political events. Governments don't do elections. People do elections. Now there are qualified electors and qualified voters that are participating in government, but the forum, the event belongs to you because only we can do it. Does that make sense? And so because the event belongs to us, we just need to tell them, you guys aren't doing what we told you you could do. And you can look in every state constitution and it's going to say something to the effect of all elections shall be free and equal. Well, what is a free and equal election? A free and equal election is one that's administered and done at that state. In 2002, after the Bush v. Gore presidential thing, remember the hanging chads? For those of you guys that are as old as me, I'm at the point now where I can say 20 years ago, which is weird, by the way. Um, but then again, I'm the dude that fell on the stairs, right? Uh, so it's like, there you go. Um, but, you know, in 2002, there was this Help America Vote Act and this HAVA. This Help America Vote Act literally gives federal monies to state election boards to administer elections according to federal standards. What does that mean? That means that the federal government is in contract with the state government. And if the state constitution says free and equal elections, is the election free and equal if the state is in a contract with the feds? And the church said, well, they, the normally church says amen, but I asked you to say no. So you were right, but I set you up wrong. You're right. It's, it's not free and equal. And so the argument, you hear people argue fraud, 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 fraud. But that's speaking to the motive of the people that did wrong, which I believe most of these people knowingly did wrong. But it's not about what I believe. It's about what I can, true, I can prove. And in the law, the Bible talks about prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. If you can't show me where it's written, I don't want to hear it. If you can't show me where it's written in the law, then you can't do it. Our constitutions function as contracts with government officials. And if you, let me just read you Oklahoma real fast, because I'm from there, so I know the Oklahoma Constitution really well. But if you look up, no, you know what, I'll, I'll use Missouri. I'll just use Missouri. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bet that we have a, uh, now I can't read, here we go. Um, here we go, uh, this is Missouri Constitution, Article 1, Section 3, that the people of this state have the inherent, sole, and exclusive right to regulate you ever heard that? To regulate the internal government and police thereof. And to alter and abolish their constitution and form of government whenever they may deem it necessary to their safety and happiness, provided such change be not repugnant to the constitution. What, what does that mean? That doesn't, that doesn't mean abolish the constitution. See, that, that's where our programming, our education has been, we are, we are, I love you, we've been made to be morons. 
And because we've been made to be morons with tropes like the radical left is destroying America. Oh no. Yeah, that makes me mad. I'm really angry right now, but there's no, there's no thought there. There's no thought. It's just, it's just anger. Right? Uh, I, I really bristle when people talk about, we just need to rise up. I'm going to grab my gun. It's like, dude, have you ever killed anybody? Have you ever walked over a dead body that you put down? Have you ever done that? Because if you haven't, shut up. Don't flippantly talk about the using of the Second Amendment whenever you haven't blown up, you haven't put your buddy in a, you haven't put your buddy in a bag, and you haven't taken the life of a 12-year-old kid who was wearing a bomb. Don't talk to me about that stuff. The patriots that rise up, those are the ones that make me the maddest. Because those are the dudes that just want to go pull the trigger, but yet they haven't done it. It's like if you're so bravado and machismo, you want to go shoot somebody, why haven't you done it yet? Coward. Those of us who have actually done it are just sitting here going, don't go there. Don't do that. Because some of us enjoy it. Some of us actually enjoy it because it's fun whenever you take the life of your enemy. But you don't want to do that because there's no stopping you. That's why you don't murder. That's why you look at Jesus and you point to him. You can tell what I've been saved from. You can tell the background that I'm coming from. You can tell the baggage that I carry, which is why I point to the law, which is why I point to peace, which is why I point to love. And when people start bringing up the guns, it's like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. So if we can use the wisdom of God and have strict adherence to the law, I'm demanding the highest law in the land that every single government official has sworn to be obeyed. I don't need to go to law school. I don't need to be a fancy attorney from Harvard. I don't need to have you know, a big fancy degree. I don't need to be a big brain. I read the stupid document that says I can change the government whenever I want which in the contract world means everybody in government has agreed to this and it not, not me. I'm not bound by that. I'm not a government official. I'm one of the people. I'm the boss. So when daddy comes home and the place is messed up, dad says, fix it, fix it. Well, dad, you can't do that because it's not every four years. It's not an election and CNN says that you're a racist. Are you kidding me? When we understand the law, we're going to send notice and affidavit. And here's the power. Here's the wisdom of God. When you preach the truth, the wicked flee. I think it's Proverbs 28. Stand by. Proverbs 28. And if someone's got a clock, tell me what I'm doing because I'm preaching. Um, Proverbs 28. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. When you proclaim the truth, there's no arguing with me. I'm telling you what's written, bro. I'm telling you what you swore to. And I'm demanding that you do your job. And the more people I tell, the more people I bring the knowledge to, now you guys know Title 10 of the Social Security Act, Section 11016D, tells them that they can't traffic kids. They can't take kids. But yet they do it. They do it because no one knows. They do it because no one says it. This is the wisdom of God. We're, we're not going to conquer with swords and doing violence and those things. Although, let me, let me riff on that for a little bit. Your right to bear arms. When you're exercising your rights, it's not an issue of whether you can or you can't. You already have the power. 
You don't need to ask for permission. I'm not going to ask for permission to defend my kids. I'm not going to dance around or fill out little documents to get this or that firearm. In fact, a couple of months ago, there was a Supreme Court case, six to three, that it was, it was called the Bruin case, the New York State Pistol Rifle and Association versus Bruin, B-R-U-E-N. It basically came out with this idea that it is the historical usage, it's the text of the Constitution, and the historical usage of the law. Now, here's the deal. If you know what the contract says, and you're holding people to that contract, that's what they have to do. We don't need case law. We don't need precedent. Bro, don't mess with me because my rights are secured and they ain't in the box. They're mine. These are the fundamentals. So let's go back to that rich young ruler. Jesus is preaching. The rich young ruler comes to Christ because he wants something. The government comes to you because it wants something. And the government's going to make a presumption. That presumption is going to probably be wrong because the government really has no business coming to you because you're busy being the boss. Go live your life. Go be free. Go enjoy your life. Go uh, give glory, honor, and praise to Lord Jesus Christ and, and be with your brothers and sisters, right? I'm going to go live my life. Government, go do the stuff. Take out the trash. Don't take my kids. Deal? Roger. So when they come to mess with you, you stand on your rights. You don't grant them the presumption. When the guy came to Jesus and he said, good rabbi, good master, Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. He's quoting the law to the guy. When the government comes to you, you quote the law to them. I'll just say one last thing. Because this is another fundamental people don't understand. I could... We can talk about whatever you want. I got about 10, 10 more minutes. So I can open up for short Q&A if you want. No one can take your stuff unless someone is sworn under penalty of perjury. Jurisdiction. You've heard this court doesn't have jurisdiction. They don't have jurisdiction. This is jurisdiction. 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 You've heard that, right? Right? Jurisdiction. Two words. Juris. Right. Diction. Words. Right. Words. Who's got the right words to do stuff? I'm an infantry guy. We make it simple. If I swear to something under penalty of perjury, which means I'm making a claim to firsthand knowledge that you did something, I'm using my right that Jesus gave me to gain jurisdiction over you. Jurisdiction is the power to act. So if someone has trespassed my rights, and rights are the power of free action, when you assert your rights, you're using your power. When someone has gone against you and you swear to it, you're taking your power and you're giving it to the government to do something about it. Does that make sense? That's the basics of jurisdiction. So when the government comes to you, who is swearing to firsthand knowledge that you hurt the government? Do we have a sound of like a thistle like blowing like a like a like nothing like eerily calm there are hundreds of j6ers in prison right now without a witness in the law sixth amendment in all criminal prosecutions you have the ability to face the witnesses against you 
In the historical usage, according to the Constitution, a witness is one who is present to observe a transaction. You have federal agents swearing under penalty of perjury to beliefs based on Facebook pictures to stuff that they weren't there for. And every defense attorney in the nation ain't even arguing the Sixth Amendment. You gotta ask yourself, why? You gotta ask yourself, what did Jesus say in Luke 11.52? Luke 11.52, we read it earlier. Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not yourselves, and them that were entering ye hindered. The key of knowledge is what's written. If you guys don't know what the law says, if you don't know what your constitution says, you don't have the knowledge. And if you don't have the knowledge, and it's been hidden from you, what's the very first thing? I'm in this position because I ran for office. I ran for state senate. And some dude sued me for defamation because the guy's a freaking creep. And I was telling people, the dude's a freaking creep. He takes public money, and then he turns around, and he uses it to destroy political opponents. True story. Just Google my name. Just Google my name. That's his handiwork. So this guy does this. I tell people he's doing this. And four days before the election, he drops a defamation lawsuit so the local paper in the Tulsa world can say, Jaron Jackson defames. And how do you think that went over to a bunch of... How do you think that went over to a bunch of Republican primary voters? At that point, I'd been labeled an anti-Semite. At that point, I'd been labeled a white supremacist. And now I'm being sued for defamation. Oh, man, he's a liar. So I lost. And then now I got this lawsuit. And I'm like, well, I got to pay money for these lawyers. I got to do all this stuff. I don't know what's going on. Why can't I just call the guy a creep? Why can I not do that? You turn out the dude never swore an affidavit. I'm being sued with no witness. Serve notice, case dismissed. When you know what the law When you know what the law is and you tell them they bow. And that's my last encouragement to you is when Jesus said all power in heaven and earth is given to me, go. He meant it. He meant it. And, you know, I, I'm not big on, on organizations or groups. I think they're prone to, you know, infiltration and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of feds. There's a lot of people like double hat and doing stuff. If you're just a normal Joe Schmo and you know what the truth is and you declare it, people are going to be like, who are you? Who's that guy connected to? Where'd that guy come from? Where, where, oh, I'm just, I'm just, a, hay, I'm just a, a hayseed hick farmer coming from the field because y'all are messing up. And that's going to that's gonna play with their heads because they're not going to understand it. Who's funding them? Where they go to school? How do they know this? Bro, I read the words. This, I believe, this is the path. This is the path to peacefully, lovingly, truthfully honor God and restore our nation. And every single one of you can do it. It takes no money. It literally says, here's what the Constitution says. And the last thing I'll say, once you get it, once it goes from your head to your heart, you'll see trespass everywhere and you will literally want to fight everything that you see because you will see evil all over the place. My, my biggest challenge right now is that I, I, I attack too much. 
I get, and there's, there's going to be someone, I walk off the stage, someone's going to be like, well, you know, I got this thing to do, this, and I'm going to tell him exactly what he needs to do. And it's going to take all my time, and I don't have time for it, but I'm going to do it because I hate injustice. These godless commies have kept us under their feet. They're perverting kids. Our borders are open. They dishonor my God. They take the name of Jesus Christ in vain, and they have kept the church at bay and in submission as though government is God, and I'm here by His grace to destroy that. To destroy it. God bless you. Have a good day. That's warrior heart right there. That's Darren Jackson, huh? So it's awesome, isn't it? See, there's always a way forward. They still want you to know it. They just kind of make the maze so confusing. You're not supposed to see clear. But once you start to see clear, you are set free. Next person we have up, very honored to have him here as well. This is Joe Allen. Now, if you don't know who Joe Allen is, you haven't been watching the Steve Bannon War Room. Joe Allen is a is the expert currently on transhumanism. And let me tell you, he's going to get to the core and get you to understand the deeper part of what all this is about. He's got his books on sale over here, which I'd highly recommend you buy and read. It's probably one of the most important books we have, other than the Bible, but that's literally one of the top on the reading list right now. Joe, why don't you come on up. Honored, blessed, thank you for being here. Please welcome Joe Allen. Howdy, howdy, Kentucky. Well, that sun's coming for me. You see it? So uh, I've oftentimes been accused of being a uh, redneck, and that's really, it's true. Being uh, put off by change, that's also true. Uh, being a bit of a Luddite reactionary, all of that's true. Uh, the only difference I have in opinion with my opponents is that uh, I believe that I'm correct and that uh, vast swaths of this society are um, either wrong or being led astray. So to get started, I just want to talk about change, transformation. Uh, that's at the core of what transhumanism is. It's at the core of futurism and technology. The concept that relentless change, that relentless transformation. I'm going to slide out of the sun a bit if you don't mind. Relentless change and transformation are inherent in the nature of reality. That, that is just simply how the world operates and you are to accept it. So think about some of the transformations. Thank you very much, ma'am. Think about some of the transformations that we have witnessed in the past few decades. Uh, even if you are on the political left, I'm sure there's like one or two of you out there. Uh, even if you're on the political left, I think that any sane person could agree that inundating a country with people of uh, oftentimes antithetical values, people who do not... Uh, belong to the spirit of that country. They belong to the spirit of their country of origin. To inundate a country with immigrants is to weaken it, is to weaken its core. 
Or if you think about the Just a very basic distinction, a very ancient distinction, a very obvious distinction, one in which the boundaries between the two have suddenly been dissolved for a large portion of society. And now it's acceptable to parade your child around in drag. It's acceptable to give your child puberty blockers and then prepare them for cross hormones and all the other sorts of uh, procedures that await them. That happened really fast. That was change. That was transformation. That was progress. My argument is that all change is not progress. It seems obvious, but it's not easy to get across to a, a culture that's so oriented on the future, that's so oriented on relentless transformation. One other transformation that I'll bring up, and I think it's one that's probably very close to the hearts of most people here, is the dissolution of traditional religion, the introduction of secularism, the retreat from uh, a sense of duty to the divine, a sense of transcendence in what is eternal beyond this world, and an attachment to everything here and now. That's taken many different forms from just secular education to the rampant hedonism of the cultural revolution of the 60s, which never ended in America. No revolution ends until everything is destroyed, right? So that's three forms of transformation that have been completely normalized for, I would just estimate, half of American society and across the globe, you see similar proportions in developed nations. It's normal to inundate a country with people of different cultures and dissolve the backbone of the culture and call it good, call it progress, and any opposition can be denounced as racist or xenophobic or fascist or whatever. And a transformation in the concept of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to unify men and women in marriage, what it means to raise a family, to have children. Uh, some portion of our society has become completely enamored in the idea that the human being can and should be transformed culturally, biologically, and ultimately spiritually. And Last but not least, the idea that a world without religion, right? Imagine no religion. Imagine no nations. All of that. That a world without religion is the good and necessary future we face. These transformations have already taken place. There's another transformation taking place just over top of that. And that transformation is largely driven by technology. In fact, I would argue that all of the previous things I just mentioned, from mass immigration facilitated by mass communication and mass transportation, to the rise of the transgender cult and the transgender child, which is in fact just the application of medical technology to alter the human being in any way one sees fit, to the rapid deterioration of traditional religious culture, which by and large took place 
in an environment of mass communications, it all stems from, in many ways, I'm not trying to put the blame on any one thing, it all stems from this rapid eruption of technology into the culture. And the question that is in front of anyone living through this rapid transformation is, what do we do with these technologies? What will the people who are in control of the technologies that we don't have access to or we don't have control of, what will they do to us? The pandemic gave us a pretty good idea of what they might do to us. A quick recap for uh, anyone not paying attention, I think that's probably basically zero people in this audience, but we'll give it a quick recap anyway. First, you had a virus that appears to have been the result of genetic engineering in China, funded and organized by corporations in America. They created a superbug by way of genetic engineering. Didn't turn out to be quite as bad as they feared at first, but that is, in fact, what happened. What began as a mad scientist experiment shook every society on earth to its core, especially due to the response to that pandemic. And then you had a moment in history that I think it, it should be enshrined. They should have a statue of Professor Neil Ferguson of uh, Imperial College London. Neil Ferguson, early on, head up, he head up a team that created a computer model, a pandemic computer model. These things are quite common. Uh, the computer model, according to their calculations, right, you are able to mirror reality in the computer. And once you have mirrored reality and seen the future in your crystal ball, you can then craft public policy accordingly. This happens all the time. And so Imperial College London published their study. What did they find in their crystal ball? If we do not lock down, if we do not uh, mandate social distancing and masking, then within six months, two million people are dead in America and half a million are dead in the UK. It was on the basis of that model that you started to see first the adoption of these draconian policies in the UK, and then, of course, as it bled into the American uh, political establishment, we see it there. It's not that these were new ideas, by the way, if you're, if you're aware of pandemic planning and all of the different tabletop exercises such as Event 201, it was basically like a rat trap sitting there waiting for just the right virus to hit it and bam. And so for three years we've endured mass insanity, just a complete delusion based on a genetically engineered virus and an algorithmic model of what to do about the virus. And the next great plan from our mad scientist establishment was to inject every single human being on the planet with an experimental genetic concoction, the mRNA virus, I'm sorry, the mRNA vaccine. The mRNA vaccine, incidentally, especially at companies by, like Moderna, the way they arrived at the proper genetic code, what they believed to be, was by way, of course, of artificial intelligence. And that is going to be the path going forward. The model that they are banking on right now for everything from the common flu to HIV to malaria, 
You use artificial intelligence to model reality. You model the genetic mutations you would like to implement in any given mRNA, mRNA strand. You can then predict using artificial intelligence what that is going to do to the resulting proteins, in this case, say, the spike protein, and then model how that works in the body. It's a form, you could say, of, uh, of, of mysticism, but it's mysticism based in the digital. And so we had a genetically engineered virus, a pandemic response largely driven by computer modeling, and then the solution, an AI-designed vaccine that is, in fact, also the result of genetic engineering. We live already in a dark, dystopian sci-fi world run by, by and large, people of a technocratic bent, people who believe that experts, scientists, and technologists should be making the decisions for us because they have the smarts, they have the numbers, they have the tools. Uh, we are, in essence, cattle, and that was how many of us were treated. The big problem, I think, with understanding exactly where we're at right now in this sci-fi dystopia is you're expecting flying cars. You know, you're expecting robot slaves to come and rub your feet for you at, at night, right? I know that's, that's what I'm expecting, and I've yet to get even uh, the, the, the first, but this is where we're at, and it's not obvious. It's subtle. It sits in the background. If you ever watch somebody looking at their phone, listening through their phone, watching through their phone, it's normal now. It's completely normal for people to filter their lives through a digital medium. That's in fact how I make my living now. I am now an official cyborg living out the cyborg dream, but it doesn't look like Blade Runner. It doesn't look like Star Wars. It looks much more like, if you're familiar with Mike Judge, creator of Beavis and Butthead, his movie Idiocracy, in which everyone turns up stupid and the machines are stupid. That's where we're at. It's somewhere between the matrix and idiocracy because most people in our lives right now do live inside a matrix. And unfortunately, many of the people pointing out that matrix, pointing out that illusory reality, they're lying. And so they offer these red pill sorts of cultures, but really it's just a submatrix inside the submatrix inside the submatrix presumably inside a bigger matrix. It's a world of illusion, it's a world of lies, it's a bad sci-fi movie, and it ain't stopping. It's gonna keep going. The beautiful thing about a place like this, to me, anyway, the, the, the natural environment, the smell of burning meat, uh, as the hours proceed, hopefully the smell of sweaty, stinky humans, uh, the beauty of this is that it is a reminder of our connection to the natural. How many of you guys have, have farmed or gardened or raised animals or killed animals or, yeah, that kind of thing. This is, a, the, you are people who understand what is at stake. I fear that many of our countrymen don't even understand what is at stake. They are lost in an illusion. They are lost in a constant chase for this relentless transformation that to them will lead to a utopia. 
So when I'm talking about transhumanism, I don't necessarily mean the specific school of intellectuals who have crafted and cultivated this idea of improving humanity, moving us from humanity 1.0 to humanity 2.0, although obviously I take the name from them, I am talking about a vast system. It extends from Silicon Valley to our military industrial complex to Wall Street, which finances these dreams of perfection by way of technology, and then, of course, overseas to all the counterparts in the CCP and the PLA, to Israel and the IDF, to India, to Europe, to Russia. This is a mythos of human perfection by way of technology, whatever name you want to put to it. Some call themselves accelerationists. Some call themselves optimalists. Some call themselves long-termists. It, we are at a point where these words, perhaps unfamiliar to you, are dominating intellectual circles of people whose decisions will determine our lives, the shape of our culture, at least the shape of the culture of our countrymen, who, at least for right now, we're going to have to deal with. So what do you do in the face of that? And I, I would love to give you an easy answer. I, I really don't have one. Uh, people always ask me, what do we do about this? Uh, what do you do about uh, the sun coming for you? Uh, I, I don't know. I do know that you step out of the way of incoming fire as best you can. I do know that you have to cultivate, continue to cultivate in your case, and maintain that connection to what is handed to you by your ancestors, what is given to you in tradition because without those anchors as this relentless transformation continues to sweep for sweep over the wider society without those anchors you too and your offspring and your children's children children's children they will also be swept away by it it is an apocalyptic view admittedly but uh, I, I don't know if you've seen the amazon one palm payment systems or the uh, world coin, world ID, which attaches your iris, your biometric identity to your digital identity to your wallet. Uh, I'm not saying it's the end of the world quite yet, but I am saying that these people are playing with fire and they are well aware of the symbols that they are evoking. They're well aware of that. If they're not, then I don't know where they're sleeping. And you are well aware of it. And so then what? Then what? We want to tell you a quick uh, story about this last week, just to, to bring home uh, how relevant this is becoming. You're all aware of Elon Musk, I'm sure, the richest man in the world, the world's wealthiest transhumanist. Elon Musk, who is now uh, putting his wealth towards all sorts of projects for the benefit of humanity, such as XAI, which he intends to be an artificial general intelligence, basically a digital brain, superhuman in every aspect that he hopes to control somehow, a digital god, as it's been put, a digital god. How do you control it? Well, the first thing you're going to want to do is open up the bandwidth between the human brain and the AI, because as he's pointed out many, many times, and I agree with him, we are already cyborgs. It's just that we're limited by our eyeballs and our thumbs. 
And this is a slow and laborious process. So what you have to do is open that bandwidth up. This is an idea that comes up a lot in DARPA experimentation with brain-computer interfacing. The, the big barrier between human intelligence and artificial intelligence is the case around your brain. You have to get through that and you have to open the bandwidth. How does he propose to do that? Neuralink. Neuralink, which just got uh, FDA approval this year and they just sent out the request for, for basically lab rats, human lab rats, which will be people who are paralyzed, people who have been debilitated by strokes. And it will allow these people to if not walk again, which they hope, certainly to communicate in their locked-in state. This has been proven in other brain-computer interfaces that are already in people's brains right now. The big difference with Elon Musk, though, is it comes packaged with a worldview. And so in his view, this is by his own admission, and in fact, not his own admission, this is his declared mission. The mission is to be able to control an artificial intelligence system that is, in essence, a god. And so you have to be able to defend the feeble human mind and the feeble human being from it. And so his intent is to begin with healing, to allow paralytics to walk and perhaps allow the blind to see. Very biblical. Moving on then to enhancement, so that as he spoke with Bibi Netanyahu this last week, he described the solution to artificial superintelligence, the solution to a God on earth that is not of this world, it is of the digital world, and that is to have each human being would create what he calls a, a tertiary self, an AI self. What that means is you have... It's very ephemeral. You have an AI that is trained on your personality that is your liaison to this new digital environment, which is rapidly growing around us. And so through your trode in your dome, you will have a guardian angel that will guide you through this twisted digital landscape. And so on and so forth, all the way down to his Optimus robot slaves and all the way out to his investment in CureVac, the mRNA production company. He has since said that even, even though he doesn't believe the, the vaccine was beneficial, he does believe in the power of mRNA. It's going to go forward. You're going to see more and more and more of this. And so what do you do in the face of that onrushing stream? Again, I think the only thing you can do is hold on tight. I don't think there's any stopping it. I don't think that anything short of a solar flare or uh, perhaps uh, something so fortunate as divine intervention, and it seems that the Lord has left us by and large to our own devices on this one for now. I think that the best thing that we can possibly do is understand that not only the wealthiest man on earth, Elon Musk, but also the most powerful governments on earth, including our own, and the militaries deployed by them, and the most powerful corporations on earth, our tech companies, such as Google, some number of the people 
piloting these ships believe that we're on our way to creating God in silico, that we are creating a digital God, or better, better put, they are creating a digital God and we are to live underneath it. That's the spirit right there. Can I get a hell no? Uh, but I, I'm very serious about this. And people, again, it sounds so science fiction, right? It sounds so unbelievable. It would have been completely unbelievable if I told you two decades ago that every single person would have a tracking device through which most of their life was filtered. It would be completely unbelievable if I told you that the upscale grocery store Whole Foods will have palm readers by which you can buy or sell, right? With the number of your biometric identity on your palm, on your hand. It would be completely unbelievable if I told you that parents would, would be told that the parents would be told that they were the evil ones when they say that my child wants to change their gender by way of a bizarre scientific experiment. They are the evil ones, not those who are pushing this forward for profit and power. Uh, you wouldn't have believed it. And so, however unbelievable these claims of artificial intelligence, gods or brain-computer interfaces or genetically engineered babies, it's, it's unbelievable and it's coming down the pike. It won't be exactly as they dreamt it, of course. No human ambition is exactly right. Even the best production always has some screw-ups in it. Anybody who's ever been in a, a play or played in a band knows that no, at no point is ever no, every note hit exactly right. This is not going to be any different. In fact, as I said a moment ago, what we see unfurling is more like idiocracy than it is the Matrix. But it's still unfurling. It's still making itself manifest. A lot of times I think about it in terms of the past century. You think about the, the massive social movements of the 20th century, especially communism and fascism. And communism was dreamt up in the late 1800s by Karl Marx, by and large, in association with many other socialists, and he created a dream world, an egalitarian economy, the rule of the proletariat, sort of apocalyptic future in which the wealthy and the aristocrat would be torn from their, their thrones and the working man would rise up and you would be able to harness the industrial capacity of the society so that everyone could live in a sort of heaven on earth. And of course that didn't happen, but what did happen was the revolution in Russia, the revolution in China, the revolutions of Vietnam, Cambodia, Cuba, Venezuela. None of those countries are equal. None of those countries enjoy the bounty of, of the communist utopia, but they have been irrevocably changed at the cost of millions upon millions of lives and at the cost of human freedom in those societies. So the idea that I'm trying to convey to you isn't necessarily that these dream worlds coming out of Silicon Valley, coming out of our own military, and coming out of this, their corresponding organizations overseas, these dream worlds are not going to be realized one-to-one. -one. 
but they are being made manifest in some form or another. The same happened with fascism, especially its Nazi variant, right? In fascism, especially the Nazi idea, you would have a people dedicated to blood and soil. You would have a people whose bloodline was perfected by way of eugenics. That didn't happen. But what you did get were millions and millions killed. You got a megalomaniac leader who led his nation into ruin. And if you look at Germany now, as hot as their economy may be, their culture is pretty demented by and large. These dreams have real world implications. And in many ways, the way I see it is this. The traditional worldview the idea that God created this world, everything that we see, the grass growing beneath your feet, the trees above you, the sky above that, the sun above that, God created this, God created it as good, but God created it as a temporary place on our journey towards something beyond. And if you're a reader of the Bible, and I, I get the sense that all of you pretty much are, you know that it's not a happy fairy tale story, you know that the biblical story is, is in fact quite violent, quite dark. And as you progress from the gospel, which has the most beautiful sentiment that you should love God with all your heart and all your soul, and that you should love your neighbor as yourself, that you should be ready to forgive your neighbor, neighbor that, that idea coming out of the Old Testament, that idea is then, it culminates in a crucifixion. And it's followed by the execution of Paul. It's followed by the execution of Peter. And it all, it all culminates in the Revelation, which if you've read it, and I suspect all of you have, it is not a happy tale. It ends on a high note. I mean, any great play has to end on a high note, right? Unless you want to depress everybody. We win. But there's a long, long, grueling journey to get there. And I think that everything that I've just described, the transformation of the, the complete disruption and subversion of national sovereignty, of the, the, the character of the American and the Western people, that the, the perversion of what it means to be a human being, a man, a woman, what it means to be a, a married couple and the generators of family, and of course, the, uh, sitting beneath that, the, the dissolution of traditional religion, its place in our society, its place in our minds, and in, for many people, even in their hearts themselves, it's completely vacuous, it's completely empty. And on top of that, you have technocratic, transhumanist, megalomaniacs who want to create God in silico, attach our brains to it by way of brain-computer interfaces drilled deep into the gray matter, swarms of militarized drones to kill the enemy with no conscience whatsoever, more swarms of robotic slaves that would displace any sort of human value in labor, even more numerous swarms of AI that will automate thought itself. 
to automate us away, the greater replacement. This dream is coming down the pike and it is being made manifest slowly. It's not perfect, but it's being made manifest slowly. And at the core of that too is the dream of completely altering the human being genetically, right? The idea that we are flawed, we are the flawed productions of natural selection and random mutation, and that our woes, our existential woes, are the direct result of that, that the, the perennial ills of ignorance, of old age, of disease, of death, that all of that is just baked into this naturalistic sort of cake, of kind of lopsided, flattened cake that is nothing more than the output of algorithms, nature's algorithms, the algorithms of atoms, the algorithms of molecules, the algorithms of genes, the algorithms of natural selection, and of course, the algorithms of our flawed minds. How do you fix that? First, you, for now, you try to warp the human brain into shape, sort of like kids with braces, but for your brain. Already, you see brain-computer interfaces being used for these therapeutic purposes. You may perhaps know someone who uses it now. Non-invasive brain caps that will simply read all of the brain's activity, and there are various mechanisms that you can stimulate certain novel neurological phenomena. Basically, you are correcting for things like depression. You are correcting for things like ADHD. You are correcting for things like the, uh, the, the, even, even things like OCD, right? Like habits that people cannot seem to break. These things are now being treated not so much as something that you can, you, th th there are therapies that human to human relationships can fix or the, the transmission of wisdom from one to another or God willing, uh, even healing, divine miraculous healing. No, the idea is that you can warp that brain into the shape you want it to be in. That's the most extreme case. I would argue that the digital culture that we live in right now is doing exactly that. You don't have to look much farther than the, the crazy spasms of the BLM movement. You don't have to look much farther than the, the crazy social spasm of the Covidian cult. And as much as I hate to admit it, and as uh, unpopular as the opinion is, the bizarre conformist elements in the MAGA movement itself which cannot possibly imagine that there might be something slightly amiss about all of this. We're already there. We're somewhere between idiocracy and the matrix. And I, I, if I can give you one more example, just one, one, one thing to, to keep in mind about the reality of the situation that we face right now. Uh, this is something that people who are sensitive to pro-life issues, I think, respond to much more than others. But this is happening uh, as, we, as, as I stand here rambling on before you. Eugenics is at the core of this transhumanist movement. Eugenics is, sits at the core of this, this urge for relentless transformation and perfection. And so the old form of eugenics, the form of eugenics that was cooked up by Charles Darwin's cousin Francis Galton, was to simply identify the smartest people in the society and you mate them together, and you identify the dumbest and you discourage them from mating. Sounds common sense enough, right? 
And from there you get its, its extreme forms in Nazism. But now you have what is known as liberal eugenics. And it's very, very simple. It begins with prenatal screening. And this is done all over the world regularly. And it makes perfect sense logically, if not morally. And so the process begins. Woman is pregnant. You screen the embryo. And if it turns up positive for Down syndrome or any of the other sorts of uh, undesirable traits, you abort. And in this fashion, you now see in Iceland, there are no Down syndrome children. As compared to a place like Ireland, where this is very much discouraged, there are a lot of kids with Down syndrome. In, Ireland, in Iceland, there are almost none. And there are a number of other conditions similar to this that have been completely eradicated. Now, you might say, okay, so much the better. I doubt anybody here would say that, but many people would say, okay, logically that makes sense. So much the better. Why would you want to have to deal with that? But one of the most powerful things that we have as human beings, as human souls, not stuck here for just a minute to blip out into nothingness, but human souls on our way to something else, one of the most beautiful things we have is to pick up someone who is struggling and help them along. Because every one of us coming into this world and even at the strongest points in our lives have had to do that. We've had to reach out our hands for help and be carried along. This idea of perfection is basically a war on retardation. It's a war on weakness. It's a war on our humanity. And so to begin with those who are intellectually disabled and then to move up to those who are just maybe a drag, especially a drag on an economy that is becoming more and more automated and on up until you get to just uh, an elite, what we're talking about is a slow genocide. What we're talking about is an idea that human beings can be perfected in the same way that natural selection made us pretty good, that human ingenuity, it's believed, can make us perfect. And so beyond that, you have even more exacting procedures that are being rolled out. So you have Genomic Prediction. Genomic Prediction is a company that is funded by Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, and Genomic Prediction allows the couple to, this is, uh, you're familiar with IVF, I'm sure, in vitro fertilization, they coax 10 to 15 ova out of the woman's ovaries. They inseminate them. They take a few cell samples. They put the babies in the freezer. They figure out which one is the supreme genotype as best that they can, re that they can reason out with genomic sequencing. It's sort of like a combination between um, a baseball tournament and a spelling bee. And then once that baby is chosen, the embryos are destroyed except for the one and then implanted she goes and on and so forth until they hope all human flaws are eradicated. Right now we're talking about a very small percentage of the population. Not unlike in 1950, we would be talking about a very small percentage of the population who ever had an abortion. Not so today and I, I believe come tomorrow or 10 years, these procedures will become much more regularly performed 
sort of mass abortion in order to perfect the strain. So now that I've thoroughly depressed you, I'll return one more time to this notion of what to do about it, of which I have no real answer except for this. And that is truly that as we move forward into a world in which digital currency is the norm, you are expected to be a part of this digital culture. In fact, for many people, that will be the sign that you have made it, that you are successful in this digital culture. As we move into a, into a world in which digital identities are the norm, in which everything is increasingly tracked and traced and controlled, you have to figure out where your line is. How far are you willing to go along that path? Are you willing to take the smartphone mark? Are you willing to simply take the biometric mark? Maybe the implanted chip mark? These are questions that as this progresses, and I believe America will be a, a hotbed of it in the coming decades, you will have to make the hard decisions. What am I willing to sacrifice? How much am I willing to struggle against a totalitarian technocratic system? And do I have the guts to say no? I think that all of us feel like we have the guts to say no, and I think most people here, if not all, will. But you have to know that many or most won't. And you have to be prepared to make that severance, I think. Not to banish all cyborgs to the periphery, that would mean me. You would have to get rid of me, and uh, I'm not ready to be rid of yet. But you will absolutely, going forward, and especially your children, and especially your children's children, you will have to be prepared to deal with a world, uh, to deal with a civilization, and many civilizations, that no longer turn to a penniless rabbi hanging on a cross as the, the origin and goal of your history, but rather that holds up artificial minds and those who are most connected to them as the origin and goal of the history. As this civilizational transformation takes place, many hard choices will have to be made. I am certain that people here will be very wise. I'm certain that you'll be able to grow your own crops, kill your own food, do whatever it takes to stay outside of that system so that you don't have to take the proverbial mark, uh, but know that many won't. And I, I, I do hope and pray that the, the solidity here, the, re the redundancy here, the strength here, and all across this country and all across the world, that those who have remained true to tradition and to nature herself, that they will in fact win out, that the the entire dream of perfection is exactly that. It is nothing but a dream. So in your imperfections and in mine, I, I wish you the best. God bless. I look forward to shaking your sweaty hands. And I hope you look forward to shaking mine. We are all human. Let us stay that way until we have finally transcended, not into the machine, but into the spirit. Thank you very much. So Joe's, Joe's selling his book right over there. I'd really recommend you pick up a copy. Fantastic book, massively researched. You know, I, I, was, I worked 
at a period of time up at the government labs in and around the super soldier project. So I had a glimpse, but I've never, of some of this, but I've never met somebody who's so educated and knowledgeable on this subject. It's an important topic because it's at the core of so much of what these psychopaths do and believe. And it's the only way to fight an enemy is to know our enemy. Michelle, who's up? Oh, Tiffany. All right, where's Tiffany? Where is she? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> entertain, entertain you, I shall. Well, thank you very much. All right, so transhumanism is truly one of the big topics because it's at the, like I was saying, at the core of what they're trying to do, but most importantly, the game that they play. I was just having a brief conversation with Jared, Jaron Jackson a minute ago as we were introducing him to Pastor Brad Cummings. And the thing to understand is that this game that they're playing is a game of teasing us to make us believe what is not true. And the most fundamental issue on everything and it centers on this is God gave us the rights. No one else can take it away unless we give them away. And that's the principle of free will at a spiritual level that they are constantly fighting and doing. This idea that's working in this world is that they have no power, essentially. We give them all power. And they do that with the trickery and the things they do. So let me just point out something, and it's an easy example for everybody to get. And it's a form of, of what, what we'll call spell casting. And it's an important principle to understand. You go into a doctor, they do a, a scan, they say, you've got cancer. And now you say, I've got cancer. And then they say, you're going to have 30 days to live. And you say, I have 30 days to live. You've just done something here on a spiritual level that's really profound. What you have done is you've accepted their spell cast, and now you spell cast it into the world, and you've used the authority that God gave you to make it come true. Fundamentally, hospitals are nothing more than just engines for the demonic because and not all because we have somebody really special here later dr lee Merritt. but he's <laughs> you're not in a hospital anymore thank goodness but um but in in the principle of the way that we saw this these happen is they, they create a framework and, and if you know someone says well i don't believe in spell casting and demons you're like okay well i can talk to you about influence in the mind because it's the same principle. You're going to be told something, you're going to ingest it, you're going to repeat it, and you're going to believe it, and therefore you're going to make it come true. So when you add to that to the spiritual component to it, because we are dealing with pharmakia, that's all witchcraft, the principle then is that we are, oh my goodness, here we go. The principle is what we're doing is we're ingesting what they say, we're repeating what, what outward, and we're creating the future they want us to live into, very dark, and something, this is where we have to take our authorities back and understand that we have the authorities to make the choice in the direction of where things go. Now, next up, this is one of our moderators who's been with us for three years now. She's coming down from the area near that, that uh, it's communist up there, right? Chicago? Yeah, it's communist Chicago area. This is Tiffany. Tiffany is a homeschooling mom. She's been running the kids camp. She started her own podcast a while ago on homeschooling. She's passionate, a mother of four. You know, Paul's got 10. 
I know. I'm just letting you know. Just letting, so you know. So, okay. That's the, the, is there a difference there? Okay. Just checking. Okay. So between you and him, like that's the food bill today right there, right? All right. Please welcome Tiffany. applause because she is literally doing a miracle with the kids out there. Your kids are having so much fun. They're like intensely shaking cream and making butter and bread over a fire and all of that. She's how many of you have seen the field manual manuals she put together? Like legit, we all want one. You can get are they online? Are they on Barza? They will be. They're gonna be online. They better be online because everybody's like, can I have one? I'm like, no, you're are you under 18? Cause like seriously, she she put them together, she printed them off, and uh, she's literally a genius. So I just want to tell everybody how awesome you are. Thank you. That's good. Good. All right. Well, hi everyone. Um, I know some of you know me as Punky. My real name is Tiffany. For those who don't know that, like Scott had mentioned earlier, um, I am a mom of four, and we started homeschooling. Um, right during COVID. So um, we have just truly just enjoyed this time that we have together. Um, but before we get started, I would just like to open us in a quick word of prayer because we know that the enemy is trying really, really hard to shut down everything that we're doing. And so I just let's just have a quick word of prayer. If you would just bow your heads. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, just to thank you so very, very much for Scott and the resistance chicks and all the volunteers that we have here, Lord, and, and all of our friends who have become family that have showed up here today, Lord. Um, we just ask that you put your hedge of protection around us, Lord, because we know that we are in the middle of a battle, and we need you now more than ever. And the whole point of this is to equip the saints for, for what we've got coming, Lord. So we just ask that you continue guiding us and showing us all that you need us to see and so that we can go forward and share that with others. Um, we just ask that you protect the children, Lord, because we know the enemy is coming for them. <clears throat> and so we just ask for all the little ones, Lord, that you just continue protecting them. And for all the parents who are thinking about homeschooling, don't think about it, just do it, because I can tell you from experience, this has been the best experience for myself and my family. So, Lord, we just thank you once again for, for all of this, this beautiful time we have together. Um, and we just ask that you continue guiding us and protecting us. And we ask this in your son, Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. All right. So how did we get started homeschooling? Well, like I said, it was during COVID. Um, we have a school right down the block from us. So that was one of the selling points when we bought our homes. The school's right there. I can keep an eye on my kids. And when COVID happened, they sent the kids home for spring break with some computers and a packet of, of worksheets and said, here you go. This is how we're going to do school. And um, having three kids, little ones, fourth grade, first grade, and kindergarten on Zoom meetings. If you've ever seen a kindergartner in a Zoom meeting, it's like herding wet cats. It's, it's, it's not fun. And so I realized that my kids just were not learning anything. Um, it was more of just, you know, goofing around. And I said, if this is the new normal, I don't want any part of this. And so um, that summer, we made the decision to pull the kids from school. And it truly, it was just 
It was God answering a lot of my questions, and I wasn't sure how we were going to manage this. How was I going to raise four kids? We had a little little one at home. She was only two, I think, at the, one at the time. Um, but through the Lord, we, we managed to, to make it work. Um, and so um, the first thing we did was we went to a website. It's called hslda.com, which is Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And they will be there for you. You can sign up with them, um, pay a small fee, and they will be your legal support if you should ever need it. Because we know what's happening in this world, and we know that they're coming for our kids. And I'm sure homeschooling is going to be the next thing that they attack. So we need to truly you know, have all bases covered. So for us, what we did was um, we sent certified letters to the kids' schools, letting them know that they were no longer going to these schools. And that was just a courtesy that we don't, it depends on your laws, um, but for us, we just did that just to let them know so they could never try to send a truant officer to our house to take our children away. Um, and so I had them sign for each child that they received the letters. Um, and you know, everything, we, we talk about the law, they try to use the law against us. So make sure that you go to that hslda.org uh, website and it'll show you the different laws for your state so you know what you're getting into. We live in Illinois, like Scott said, Kami, Illinois, and the one thing that they did right was um, their homeschool laws. It's very lenient. You don't need a degree. It's, you know, a lot of people say, well, you have to have a bachelor's degree and, and teach. No, you don't. There's so many people out there that want to tell you lies, um, but know your laws. That is the most important thing. Um, and also, um, pray on it. You know, God is never going to lead you astray. He will always guide you where you need to be. And um, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, and like I said, I, don't, I have got a, an associate degree. It's not in early education. Um, but what I've realized with homeschooling is that we're trying to break away from that system that they've built for our children. You know, they're, they're not creating free thinkers. They're creating followers. They want your kids to do what they say. And... Um, we need to break away from that. Since we started homeschooling, we have had so much freedom. And the best part is that I get to spend this time with my kids, and I've learned along with them. We've learned how to bake bread, we've learned how to garden, and all of that stuff is homeschooling. You think about it, you know, yes, we need math and we need English, and they say if you can read, you can teach yourself anything. And it's true, there's so many books out there to you know, know how to teach yourself how to learn to do these different things, and that's how we've learned. You know, everything is trial and error. And when we first did gardening, I think we had tomatoes out of all these different garden beds. And, you know, next year we tried something different. And teaching them how to survive, I think that's really one of the main um, focal points with homeschooling is you want to teach your kids skills that they're going to be able to use when whatever happens, happens. They can grow their own food. We're trying to, you know, live more off-grid, we want to move. We live in Illinois, and we want some land here. Kentucky would be wonderful with chickens and, and things like that. So um, being able to teach my kids this, you know, like when we do baking, we're measuring, we're learning fractions. And you don't think about that, but that is math, you know. What's the easiest way to teach a kid a fraction? Actually use it for something that you're going to need it for so they understand what a quarter of a cup is, you know. Um, and so um, a lot of people ask about curriculum. Well, there's so many different curriculums. Uh, we use a curriculum. It's a Christian-based curriculum. It's called the Becca. It's really it's a great, great curriculum. The kids really enjoy it. Um, 
And they're, you know, it's all based on creation, not evolution, that they want to teach these kids in these schools. And so having those kind of the, the ability to choose what your kids are learning, that is, you know, one of the freedoms of homeschooling. And of course, we have the Bible. We have taught the kids, the, you know, I started reading the Bible just three years ago. I was raised Catholic, and we were never encouraged to do that. Since COVID and homeschooling, we started reading the Bible together. We're going back to our roots. We're going to the foundation that Father wanted for us. And so that's truly important. And since then, we found a great church, and the kids do Awana. And we're focused, we've turned our focus from just learning to learning with Father, you know, the things that he wants us to learn. Everything that we need is in that book, in that Bible. And having that as part of our curriculum is truly, truly important. Um, and so a lot of people will ask, well, isn't homeschooling expensive? How can I do that? Truly, it's not. You know, you can get a lot of resources from the dollar stores, from Michael's, or um, there's a website called Oriental Trading. They've got a lot of, like, teaching materials. Um, you can go to thrift stores. I've gotten a lot of books from thrift stores. One of my favorite websites is thriftbooks.com, and you can find everything on that website. If you've never heard of it, definitely check it out. Um, Scholastic, um, TJ Maxx, and other discount stores, they've got a lot of teaching stuff. Um, garage sales is a good place. A lot of times you'll find a teacher who is getting rid of all her stuff. She's retired and she's wanting to sell her stuff. So there's always a way. Father will always provide a way. He's shown that to us because I wasn't sure how we were going to do it with four kids, you know, thinking, well, what about the curriculum and, and all the learning materials? But Father provided, as he always does. Um, and you don't always need brand new books. You can use used books. I know there's you know everybody's against Facebook, but there's marketplace there, and there's a lot of people that will sell their old used curriculums, and you can find those. Dollar Tree has a lot of books for the kids to learn. Um, kidsbooks.com is a good place to buy books. You just really have to be careful now because these books that they're making for children are focused on things that we don't want them learning. Um, even the library. The library used to be a great source, but I don't know about you guys, but when I walk into my library, I'm just rainbow everything when you first walk in the door, and I'm trying to keep my kids from that. Um, not saying that libraries aren't good resources, just you may want to go in there before. I know one of our libraries, we had um, a local mom, she's an activist for homeschooling, and she went to the board and told them, take that stuff out, we don't want this for our children, and that's what they're coming for is our children. Um, digital books are good too, you know, if you've got an iPad or, you know, e-readers, those are good for the kids, too. They can scroll through. And I know a lot of people want to get off electronics. Um, but that's just another great uh, source to use. Um, and then th there's 10 top-based um, Christian curriculums. Um, the number one is Good and the Beautiful. I've heard a lot of great things about that one. Um, there's the Becca that we use. And like I said, it's all focused around God. Even the math, um, everything is focused around Father, and that's the way it should be. Um, there's Bob Jones University, Classical Conversations. I know a lot of moms that use that one, too. They said that's really good. Uh, there's Alpha Omega Publications, Master Books, Answers in Genesis, Easy Peasy All-in-One. And I'll tell you, we used that one starting out because I really didn't know where to start. You know, I was just kind of, it was chaotic at first, I won't lie. Um, but Easy Peasy is uh, free. You can use it online or you can buy their books. And it was good. It was Christian-based, but I just felt like my kids needed a little bit more. Um, sunlight curriculum and then My Father's World. And then there's um, online programs, which, again, 
I saw my kids, how they were during COVID and being online, and I just chose to kind of get away from that. I'm old school. I like books and paper and pencils, and um, I think my kids have found a love for that too. Um, and there's so many different websites that you can use. You know, um, there's Starfall, Learning Games, PBS Kids, Primary Games, Academics. There's a whole bunch of things. I put together these flyers. If anybody would like one, um, just come see me. I'm usually at the kids' place, and it's just a great place to get started because, like I said, when I started, I didn't know where to start. I was really lost. Um, I prayed on it, and Father guided us through this. Um, but some of the really good things about homeschooling is you get to make your own schedule. Like today, all the kids are in school. I didn't have to worry about pulling my kids out of school. You know, this is school for us. They're learning how to do different things there. And this is part of homeschooling. It doesn't always have to be in a book. And I think that's the mentality that we all really need to break away from. This is not what Father intended for kids to be sitting at a desk for eight hours a day, writing, you know, sitting still. We're people. We're humans. We need to be moving. We need to be touching and feeling and learning. And um, you get to do that with homeschooling. And you're also in control of what your children learn. I don't do Common Core. Sorry, we do Common Sense math in our house. And uh, it's the best thing for these children because that that's the enemy right there. Um, and learning doesn't always happen in the classroom. Like I said, you don't have to be stuck at a desk all day. These kids, that's you know, the ADD. They can't sit still because they want to be out. They want to be moving like we're supposed to be. Um, gardening, cooking, woodworking, all of that is part of homeschooling. And don't let anybody tell you any different because they don't want our children learning this stuff because that means we're self-sufficient. And when we're self-sufficient, we're not you know, dependent on them. And that's what they don't want. Um, and homeschool children perform better than those in public education. You know, they're able to figure out what their true talents are. They're not all just closed off in a box and everybody's learning the same thing. Um, and there's more parent involvement. You know, that's what we need more of. We need to be spending more time with our children. I'll be honest, I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. My mom worked two jobs, my dad worked, and um, I spent a lot of time with my grandma. But I wish that I had this time with my mom so she could have taught me how to bake bread, so she could have shown me how to sew and, and do the things that I'm learning with my children. Um, and academic performance, self-esteem, and overall happiness. You can't put a price on that. Like seeing my children flourish from the time we started homeschooling till now, they've matured and they're just kind, really good kids. And we don't have the school system raising our children. We are raising our children again. We're taking back that power, and we are doing what Father asked us to do. Um, and so, you know, I just really believe that where there's a will, there is a way. God will always make a way. You know, I, for a long time, I just kept asking myself, am I doing enough? Am I doing what's right? But when I take my kids to a park, even my kids will be like, Mom, those kids are school, you know, public school kids. <laughs> you can tell a difference because they, children, you know, they, they're learning manners again. You know, some of these kids, it's really sad to see. They're being raised by, you know, the electronics and the school system, and we don't have enough love, you know? Like, our children need to be loved, and that's one of the best parts of homeschooling is that while we're learning new things, you know, we're, we're growing as a family, and we're building a house that our kids are going to want to come back home to. You hear of so many kids leaving home, and they don't want to return back because of the childhood that they had, and... Every day I see my kids growing, and I just think someday they're going to be gone, you know. And I'm so truly thankful that I have this time with them and that God has allotted me this time. Um, 
Yes, I wanted to work and be a working mom, but God had other plans for me, and I'm so thankful that he did because he knew what he was doing, raising my kids at home and homeschooling them and just watching them grow has just been a true, true blessing from Father. And I just want to encourage any parents out there, if you're considering it, do it. Don't question it. Just jump right in and do it because God will make a way. Trust me, he will. A lot of people say, well, we need both incomes. Talk to Father. He will provide a way. We have, you know, our single income home. And I'm so thankful for my husband, and he's truly the best dad for our kids. And, you know, hi, Matt. <laughs> he's back there. Um, but, you know, when I went to him, I was just like, what do you think about homeschooling? He kind of looked at me like, are you crazy? Yes, I'm a little crazy, but it's for, it's for our children. And so he was all on board with it. And there's a really good curriculum. It's called Campfire Curriculum. Um, I don't know if any of you ever heard of it. It's made by a veteran dad. And he creates these lessons for these kids to learn so that the dads can be involved, too. It's truly, we bought five different ones, and there's one for survival, there's one for gardening, and um, first aid, and just a bunch of different ones. And so we're going to be starting those this year. And we also have a co-op, um, which is, there's 50 kids in this co-op. It's at this woman's house, and all the moms and dads volunteer and the kids are sectioned off like an agent. And it's just extra fun stuff like 3D printing and drama club and things like that that I wouldn't necessarily teach at home. But we're able to control what they're learning, you know. And um, most of them truly are Christians. And so that makes life a little bit easier. Um, but there's always resources, you know. You just have to pray and you have to look for them because there really are so many great things for homeschool kids. And like I said, having that freedom. That's what they don't want, and that's what we need. We need that freedom over what our children are learning because they are our future. And if we don't help create the future that we need, then the school systems are going to do what they want. And we, we really, we've got to take that freedom back, and not just for us, but for our children. You know, we want to leave a better world for them than the one we're living in, and it starts at home. And it starts with that Bible. I'm telling you, read that Bible with your children. My kids will read a chapter a day and they'll ask, can we go to the next chapter, mom? Can we do, yes, absolutely, let's go, you know? And like I said, I just started reading the Bible three years ago because I was never encouraged to do that. Not that my parents didn't believe, but we grew up Catholic. And so we had the priest read everything to us. Now we're reading and it's the living word. You know, I watch how God, the different chapters that we'll read, how God will work that into our lives every day. And, um, it's just truly, truly been a blessing, and I thank God every day for giving me this opportunity with my kids and to go forward and to maybe encourage other families to do the same. Like I said, it's scary, and you don't always have it right, but that's okay. We're human. You know, we just ask Father for that guidance all the time, and he truly will provide that way and show you. Um, and again, just having that freedom. Like, you can't put a price on that. And so... Um, I just thank you all for listening. And again, if any of you have any questions, come to me. I'm not a pro. I will never claim to be a professional homeschooler um, because we're still figuring it out, you know. And um, I will try to help you any way I can because I promise you, once you make that leap to homeschooling, you're never going to look back. My kids love it. We love it. All of our friends love it. And I just can't imagine our lives being any other way. So thank you all. I truly appreciate it. And... Uh,
just going to say a quick prayer again. Father, thank you so very much for today, Lord. What? What? Oh, you're praying? Yes. You told me to come up and ask her some questions, but I didn't hear the prayers I was coming in. Lord, have mercy on my soul. Can you hold on to your prayer? Okay. All right. So uh, Michelle and I, we call ourselves uh, public school dropouts. The, <laughs> the prayer interrupters. No, uh, my mom really wanted us to be homeschooled, and this was back in, a, it wasn't very long ago, um, but it wasn't where a pub, uh, homeschooling wasn't very popular. It was kind of hard to get curriculum. Uh, it was before the internet. Yes, I'm a, I was a kid before the internet. Um, but right now it's easy and you really don't have an excuse. So Michelle and I, we were kind of in and out of public school and our mom was a single mom, a single mom. So you really don't have any excuse because she worked nights. We, we lived in an apartment and um, she would make us sleep. The babysitter was a good babysitter. I don't recommend that part, but we slept next door at the babysitter, um, and she worked nights, and she made it happen. What do your kids think about homeschooling? Like, do they like it? What's the best part? Yeah, I think my kids really enjoy it. They like the freedom. They like that they can sleep in. You know, that's oh, yeah. Yeah, their favorite part. Again, your, you know, your, your freedom. Um, and I think that, you know, I asked them, what do you guys want to learn this year? You know, Olivia wants to learn Spanish this year. I can help you with that. Um, Kaysen, he wants to learn Italian. I'm like, well, it's similar to Spanish. We can figure that out. But having that, you know, what do you want to learn? Not this is what we're learning. You get to choose what you want to learn, you know. Um, and I think that the friends that they've made, you know, like in our co-op and things like that, um, they've got their own little group of people. And I, I, it's just that, yeah. So do you find do you find that you are learning things with them? Oh yeah, I've learned probably more in the past four years homeschooling than I did when my whole time when I was in college or high school. That was a blur. But you know, I mean, really, we've learned to do a lot of things together: baking bread and gardening, and and um, even some of the facts. My kids will tell me, I'm like, what? And they'll be like, yeah, look, mom, it's right here. And I'm like, oh. So yeah, I'm learning along with them, and that really it's it's beautiful. So yeah, it's awesome. I think that's the best part. Okay, now you can pray. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's try this again. Ready? All right. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just come to you again today, Lord, to thank you so very, very much for all the many blessings and all the people that we have in our lives, Lord. Um, for Scott and Leah and Michelle, again, for putting this wonderful get-together together for all of us here, Lord. Um, we just ask that you truly, you just show us what you need us to see, Lord, so we can go forward and, and do your will, Lord. Um, use us, send us, send us wherever you need us, Lord. Um, protect and guide us, and we just ask all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all. Hope you all have a blessed day. County by county, seven pillars. First is home churches. Second is homeschooling. Then we have Patriot Gardens, which is obviously growing your own food, being as self-sufficient as possible, right work to break the corporate yoke or government yoke, do your own thing, pursue your gifts and talents, or at least work with things that are aligned with the gifts and talents that God gives you. We have health and wellness, which is to break the control of the medical tyranny. 
Then we have informed action, which is to stay informed in our lives, educated, and continue to build that knowledge level, and in the process, build paper libraries of information, not digital. And then we have stewardship and conservation, which is to use what God gives us at a better level and to maximize all of that for the betterment of our lives here on earth. We have, we're not a, we've been kind of pushed into a world, not kind of, we've been thrust into a world where purpose is defined a lot by materialism. And by materialism, it's what we buy, what we consume. And as we buy and consume, that that somehow is supposed to give us value and worth. And value and worth, then we find tapers very quickly. And soon we find ourselves in such a place that we're no longer having interest in our lives, having trouble with our lives, and we're just wondering why. We see that reflected in things like the increase in addictions, alcoholism, purposeless lives, suicides, and the list goes on. And it's tragic because that's not what God intended us to be. He intended us to have a fullness and a, a loving purpose in our life, connected with Him, guiding in our walk in every single step we do, breathing in with the Holy Spirit, and truly being something of greatness in this world. We are the children of the Most High. So when I say those words, and every time I say those words, I reflect on those that are wandering without any sort of sense or purpose, people that would suffer from depression, people that are in a world where they're asking themselves, why God, why me? A place where people are broken, alcoholism becomes an issue, porn addictions become an issue, all of these addictions, addictions, addictions. And then I say these words again, we are the children of the Most High. How did we get from that to this other train wreck that is now what, we're, what they're telling us we are? And ultimately it deals with the lack of intimacy with him to truly understand what the power of the Holy Spirit is in our life and to believe in this nonsense that's around us. In my walk, it's been an interesting one. And along the way, God threw somebody in my life that the minute we connected, it was like I knew him for my whole life. And it's only gotten better. God has an amazing way of bringing us together and weaving a knit and a perfect weave, a tapestry that's absolutely gorgeous of its multicolored and its multifaceted aspects of everything that we are. And when we step into that world and we serve only him, life just gets better. It just, it's like you can't, you can't find enough time to be with God. And the person that I'm going to introduce now is that type of person. He's had his tough moments, brutally tough, and he's just kept his eyes on the cross and he lives that way, he pursues Jesus that way, he lives what he talks, and he doesn't do it in the dead stone walls, he does it in the world. He is the author of The Shack and producer of the movie The Shack, and he is the founder, or the producer, or publisher, excuse me, editor, I'll get it right, Brad, one of these times. One of those things, you're the editor of the Founder's Bible. He's a brilliant man in the Word of God. He's one of the most enlightened people I've ever worked with in scriptural knowledge. He is truly one of the greatest gifts God has ever given me as a friend and a brother, and I want you to please welcome Brad Cummings. I don't know how to live up to that. Love you, man. All right, I got more notes than I could ever speak, but it's in here. So can we pray for a sec? Yes. And before we like bow our heads, you can keep your eyes open because like what if something happens? You'll miss it. Okay. Um, 
But can I ask you to, to think about, you came here for a reason, okay? You spent time, money, money, talent, treasure, everything, and you got here. Do not leave here without getting an absolute encounter with him that will change you forever, okay? So you need to listen for the voice of your one shepherd. It says in, in second, if, I think, first John 2, you have no need of a teacher, because you have an anointing that abides within that freely teaches you all things. So when we pray right now, I want you to talk in your own inside language to that anointing that is him living on your inside and say, God, would you give me right now what I need for what's ahead? Because I'll guarantee you, if you'll ask that, I, whatever I'm doing will be a whole lot better because it will be pulling on the hunger that's in your heart. That's not a game. I, I just, I want to make sure you get the seeds and the truth that I, I, I don't need to preach. I, I have fun. It'll be fantastic. But I want you to change. And I need you to put yourself out there and engage right now. We're at like, like where everyone gets tired and nods off. Enter in, press in, and say, God, I'm hungry for you okay jesus i ask that you descend upon this place and upon every heart you are the truth you are the one who will set us free you are my shepherd i'm showing up and i'm saying guide me direct me put me in coach and so lord would you somehow take the voluminous stuff that you placed in my heart and would you tractor beam it to each and every person here so that they have what they need? God, I don't need a multitude of words. I need the right ones. So I'm asking that you would anoint me to be of service to you and all your glorious children. Amen. Okay? All right. I cannot stand still. So I'm going mobile. I don't know where I go, but I'll go mobile. Um, you ever had that moment where you're hungry inside, but you don't know what you want? Yeah. Well, that was me one Friday night, and uh, I just, I was hungry for the Lord. It was late. I went down to the living room. I can't play the guitar. I really wish I could. I would be amazing. Because I, I know worship. I'm a worshiper. I could create worshipers, okay? But I can't do the instrumentation like it's in my head. So I'm singing this Matt Redman song, I'm Hungry For You, and I, I'm, I only know one chord. And it just wasn't working. So somewhere in my worship and crying out to God, I kind of went, this is not working. So I went into the kitchen. You ever done that? What we were trying? So I opened a refrigerator door. I don't know why. I'm trying to get a hold of God, and then somehow I end up in the refrigerator. Life is like that, okay? So if, if you think I've done anything, it's because of what God has done in me that anything has been of value. I have learned what's in here. And what I hope you will do is the great exchange. Someone said something wonderfully unkind a long time ago. You have as much of God as you want. I wanted to argue with that, and then I realized the truth of that. Am I being honest with myself? 
Is he what I really want or am I looking for something else? So here I'm in, I'm, I'm looking at the refrigerator. I'm peering in. I've just spent a half hour playing one chord and making a mess of a song. But I meant it. God heard it because I'm looking in the, in, in the refrigerator and he says, um, see anything you like? And I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm not making this up. I wouldn't talk to me the way God talks to me. He sometimes says things that are unkind. I would be nicer to me most of the time. I would, you know, like, yeah, that's close enough, you know. So I'm looking in the refrigerator. I'm not seeing anything I like. This is pre-organic days. This is back when you had sugar and all those other things. So there should have been something I recognized, but I didn't have any of that. And I'm looking in and he says, I know what you're hungry for. I went, what? He said, righteousness. I went, no. I turned around because I went, serious? You're going to go religious on me, Jesus? Righteousness? He said, if you knew what it was, that's exactly what you're hungering for. And I kind of went, well, well, then what is it? And he has a way of defining we're knuckleheads. You know, I, I, I was joking with someone else. I was like, I should write a book called Jesus for Dummies. Okay? Because it would work. So he said, Brett, do you have a longing to be right before me? And it's like, yeah, I do. I'm tired of being wrong. I'm tired of screwing up. So, yeah, I really do want to be right before you. I don't enjoy a guilty conscience, do you? You can do something about it. I want to be, I want to be right before you. And they said, but there's another aspect. Do you want to be right before me, like in proximity? I said, yeah, this was doing for a half hour. And he said, well, guess, guess where the righteousness comes from? Oh, not self. Penny dropped. I said, well, then would you give it to me? You know what he said? Sure. You have not because you asked not. How many of you have ever asked for righteousness? I mean, just I had never. I was 40 years a Christian at that point. I love the fact that I know I'm totally accepted. Frankly, I'm one of his favorites. I mean, not to put you down, but I know he likes me. I, he gets a kick out of me. I cause the angels to laugh because I'll do things that you might not do because you're self-respecting. I've lost that self-respect. That's a good thing. Okay? If you're going to go hard after Jesus, you will be ridiculed. Okay? You will. Our culture doesn't like that. You can say anything except Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Do you want to be rid of cool. Because I think to advance in the kingdom of God, you got to turn in your cool kid card. What's crazy to me is there are some people over the age of high schoolers who are still struggling to be a card cool kid member. And I just go like, could you be an adult? You know, it's like we do need to grow up into all things such as he. 
And so we got to press in and go like, I don't want the religious things. I want the right things that matter. I want the, I want the transformation that God's going to do on the inside of me. I mean, I, I did the, t- the do harder, the try harder, do better gospel. It doesn't work. You know, I think you have to be intentional, but I'm not going to get anywhere just because I work and I try super hard. And so one of the most important things you could ever ask God for is, would you teach me about humility? I don't think we know what the word means, and I don't think we do it, and I'm going to, you know, forgive me if this offends anybody present, but when we say, you know, gosh, that, that I'm just so humbled by that. Bullshit. You are not. You're, you're enamored with it, but you're trying not to be. And I, I, I don't want to... The, the reason I think it matters is because God will not humble you. That's only something you can do. And if he gives his grace to the humble... You need to learn how to do that. I need to learn how to go before him, not be less than who you are, because Moses wrote of Moses that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. So you can be humble and know it. Everyone that's not humble pokes at that like, well, you know, you think you're humble. And I'm going like, what's that? Humility is simple agreement with God. If he says you're humble, you can simply say, I'm humble because he said so. If he says, hey, Brad, you're awesome. I can get a shirt that says, I'm awesome. And when you go, well, that's not very humble. I'm like, I beg to differ. I am authorized as awesome. And and that's not just wordplay, but because... What's happening in the world right now? Why are they going full court press against our kids? Why are we trying to change our genders? Why, why, why is all this happening? One simple thing. The devil knows his end game. He's trying to do something to forestall that. And he's trying to find a way to, to not end up fully in the lake of fire. Okay? AI. How powerful is it? You know what? It cannot touch the realm of the spirit. It only has the sum total of the programming of human thoughts. It might be able to calculate them super fast. Oh, good for you. But you and I have an opportunity when you don't know something. How sad is it that we have been programmed to ask Google? I mean, you could ask the living God, but because that's not your instinct and because you haven't gotten comfortable there, you don't know that you have immediate access because Jesus died on the cross. He opened the door and said, come on in because you're not a regular visitor. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generally, generously to all without reproach, meaning You can think like there's a bad question you can ask people that will make you sort of embarrassed. There is no such thing before the living God. Ask 
and it's without reproach. He's not going to say, what are you asking for? You were here yesterday. I mean, camp out there. If there's one person to get to know, it's him. You're not going to make it through the, the, the scary music season of life, which is upon us. And how long is it here for? Um, it's going to be a lot longer and a lot harder, a lot more fierce than you're aware of. Should you be scared? No. But it's not the Tarzan, I am not scared. How, how are you going to not be scared? Simple thing. Love displaces fear. What I need to know is, hey, Jesus, I'm insufficient in this answer. I don't really understand with clarity of mind, fullness of soul, and glowing in the dark reality how much you love me. I know you love me. You know, we, we say it glibly, God loves you. But how many of you have had a revelation of that on the inside that has freed you from all the other things that you're scared of, which is what governs most of your decision making? When someone says, you know, I, I didn't really want to do it, it's like, stop, liar, liar, pants on fire. Each one of us does exactly what we want to do. How you blame it, how you excuse it, and what you do with it is up to you. But no one's making you do anything. An adult knows that. An adult says, I'm responsible for what I do. You make a mess, you get to clean it up. I wonder if that's being applied on planet Earth. Our government, do you realize the top of the government is we the people who is the forgotten sovereign before we ever have anyone elected or selected fraudulently or honestly, you are the sovereign. We are the sovereign together. I'm not the sovereign. You're not the sovereign. We are the sovereign. We're not acting like that. We don't know who we are. So we think someone in a position that pretends to know who they are intimidates us and we're scared. Again, what's the solution to the problem? The ABCs of Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And, and here's something just to re realize. For thousands of years, this thing called Christianity following Jesus, it was not a religion of a book. It was a live adventure with the living God, not dead idols. I'm a Bible publisher. I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible who reveals it to me. I'm so appreciative of it. I'm a great student of it. I have memorized most of it. I can pull out verses everywhere. And I was like, wow, how did I remember that? Called the Holy Spirit. The teacher who abides within, who will freely teach me all things. The shepherd who will guide me. I'm a sheep. Bah. I know his voice. To hear and to obey are the same word. 
Some of you are going like, well, I've never heard God. I'm going, well, you ever plan to obey him? If he did say something? I mean, just heart check. When, when God says something, God speaks on a need-to-know basis. God speaks to those he knows will obey him. There's a trust thing here. Okay? Real question. Do you trust God? Then why are you trying to negotiate with him on what he says? Do you trust? Well, I mean, but, but it's scary. Oh, we have a love issue, not a, not a fear issue. I am, the reason I can joke around like I'm one of his favorites is because God has actually gotten in my face and been really fierce. Before COVID happened, I got a pre-dose. It was so bad, I couldn't breathe through my nose. It was 100% blocked. I thought I had a brain tumor that was fast growing. My wife, I, I, I never got sick for three days. I never got out of bed and she's going like, uh, Houston, we have a problem. And she got me to an ear, nose, throat specialist. And this guy's, I'm sitting there like, all right, God, t tell me, how big is the tumor? He says, you don't have a tumor, but I don't think I've ever seen this. You're 100% blocked. How have you been breathing? Well, not very well, doc. That's why I'm here. I had to have like, you know, $200,000 worth surgery, rotor-rooter my nose in all different ways, and it was crazy. But for the first time in my life, I was actually able to breathe through my nose. I thought I'd gone to heaven. I went, wow, I'm smart now. What if I have oxygen and my brain? I'm going to glow in the dark within a year. And I just go like, Lord, this is amazing. I could smell things. Some not so good, but I could smell things. And you're just going like, you're the one that I need to know is looking after me. And he says, well, we have an issue, Brad. Your health. And if you're not going to take it seriously, I'm going to give your assignments to somebody else because you will not be here. And I kind of went, whoa, I thought I was one of your favorites. He said, you are. That's why I'm in your face. Okay. You mean I have to do what my wife says? Yes, you do. You mean I have to eat those cardboard things that I can't pronounce? Yes, you do. And he, he really put me on a regimen of just going like, you know what? You have not taken this seriously. You're burning the candle at both ends of the middle and you think that somehow I'm proud of you. I'm not. That's your anxiety. That's not faith. You have no trust in me to actually rest when you need to rest and realize I'm going to work with you and in you and through you. You act as though you're doing this all by yourself, having to earn points. And I mean, he rewired so many things inside me. And it's like, I didn't get more excited about myself. I sat there going like, okay, wow. I really don't do this well. And now you're letting me become very aware of how much I need you. And I got to tell you, that's, that, that is one of the doorways into changing the world, 
if we could learn to trust him and rely on him. And you know what? That's not a light switch that you can just flick. You can make an act of your will choice to say, I trust you. But the truth is, is trust is a fruit, not a choice. It's something you have to grow with him. It starts with your obedience to the little nudges. And as you do that, you will grow and you'll see the, the, the fruit of what they are. I've obeyed my way into some of the biggest train wrecks, costly things that were painful. But you know what? I didn't repent from them because I obeyed my way there. We do the math wrong. We think that obeying God means everything's awesome. No. Sometimes God asks you to do something and it's a costly sacrifice. He's just wondering, are you one of the actual real boys and girls that will walk this out? Can I actually ask you to suffer loss on my behalf? Paul prayed an incredible prayer. He said, I want to know the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. I got everybody in the crowd wanting to go, power of the resurrection. Nobody's praying, and could I know some of the fellowship of your sufferings? And yet I got to tell you, the things that I have been challenged through have brought me so close to Jesus that I'm going like, I, I now recognize James is not a crack smoker when he says, count it all joy, brethren, sistren, when you fall into diverse kinds of trials. Why? Because of what they produce in you. A man in love cannot quit. You can't do this Christian thing unless you get the love thing first. And, and that's not a head thing. That's a Jesus, you got to win me to a place of knowing how much you actually care for me. I am very aware that I am looked after really well from heaven. I know he really digs me. He, you know, in, in, in the, the shack, we had this phrase, Papa's especially fond of you. Where did we come up with that? It's called the words, he loves me. But because we've so neutered love and we kind of made it into some well, coarse thing, that just changing the words of saying, guess what? You know, he actually likes you. Do you know, there's a whole bunch of people that are not seeking him. You are. Do you think he knows the difference? Yeah, he knows you are. You're doing things to pursue him. Don't you think that excites his soul? Do you know that you can actually make God feel emotions that cause him to go like, ooh. I just look at him every now and then. It's like it says in, in, in Song of Psalms, with one glance, you've ravished my heart. So every now and then I just go like, hey, Jesus. Just try to catch him off guard, you know, see if I can't like put a smile on his face. Like, just it's Brad again. Ah. Okay. Try it. It is so much fun. Do it in the supermarket. In front of everybody. It's awesome. You'd be surprised how many people go like, huh. I should try it. It is the best ever. Okay? So where are we in this scary dark music? Second Timothy 3. 15, 
not on a lot of refrigerators. But know this, that difficult times will come that were difficult should have been translated a little more honestly. Because the only other time it's used is of the gathering demoniac who was naked running around into the tombs and was so fierce and scary that nobody could pass by. Difficult. So when you look at, oh, difficult times will come. Translated, demon-filled, perilous times such that no one can pass by. Do you think we're knocking on the door there? They're talking about doing deliverance here. We got official registered demon driving people who can kick out your passengers. You can leave here with fewer people on your bus. They're freeloading and they're eating everything anyways. They're giving you wrong directions and they're whining. Are we there yet? What, you mean hell? No. They're trying to take you where you don't want to go. So avail yourself of some kind people that know something about how to get you freer than you are. Okay? But it says those times will come. Why? Because of what men have become. This isn't Satan winning. This isn't God doing something. This is not God stepping back. This is the manifestation of what we've allowed ourselves to become. We're lovers of self more than lovers of God. We're selfish. I mean, you can read the list, and I encourage you to do your homework. Look at that and go like, wow, am I any of those? Am I, am I arrogant? Am I boastful? Am I a lover of pleasure? Yeah, I mean, COVID, who took the shot? Those that preferred comfort, convenience over the courage of going like, I think that's maybe not good for me. Did I ask God ever? No, a lot of people didn't. They trusted the guy in the white lab coat. See, I was really bothered by all of this, and, and God kind of said, hey, Brad, relax. This is like a, a pop quiz from heaven. Right now, I am testing every single heart on the planet. No one without exception. It is revealing in whom and what you really have trust. Okay? It's that simple. Why would God allow it? I mean, people are dying. Well, exactly. In whom and what have you placed your trust? If it's something other than Jesus, let me know how that works out for you. I have come to the place of going like, nah, I know what's in people's heart. There's very few people I trust. I'll treat you kindly. I'll be very respectful. But am I going to entrust my life to you? No. No. I used to. And then I got burned by a whole lot of people. So I have an unwritten book with the title says, Wisdom from Under the Bus. <laughs> the tuition for the, the journey was expensive. Was hard. I don't like betrayal people. Okay? But wow, did it ever give me a sense of going like, you know, what are we doing here? This will sound like a fantastical encounter, but I pray you have it tonight. I was driving home after spending the day with a buddy, and I was just, I was just wanting a buddy. I'm married. I love my wife. She's the best ever. But I was wanting a guy buddy. And the guy I spent the day with, at the end of the day, kind of knew, you know what? 
I probably suck because he doesn't really want to take me up on it. And I was feeling kind of sad. And as I was driving home, as I ran, ran, was near this Buddhist temple in Malibu. It's crazy. It's like, wow, why, why do we have a Buddhist temple here? Pulled alongside, and all of a sudden, Jesus is in my passenger seat. I had the same response. I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. I didn't reach out to touch him because I was too frightened. Okay? I don't know what your experiences with the living God are like, but he, he showed up visual. I was so scared I pulled off to the side of the road. I mean, if someone just all of a sudden shows up in your car, what would you do? I first swerved into the other lane. Thank God it was not like full of traffic. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to assess, is this real or not? And he said, Brad, why are you always trying to look for someone else to be what I want to be to you? Okay, I'm not saying this glibly. I would have never said that to me. I don't qualify. I'm not super holy. I'm not like super important. But you just spoke the thing that broke my heart because I was spent the entire day trying to have a best friend. And now you're saying, why are you always looking for someone else? And I'm sitting here, I don't know how long this thing lasted. I'm slowing it down for us humans. But I sat there and went, is this real? Do I need to be on lithium? It's possible. I've had many of these lithium wandering encounters. I personally don't think I need lithium because it's produced by the pharmacia people and none of their pills are very helpful to us. And so I'm going like, Lord, Serious? I mean, is this, is this a real offer? And it's like, okay then, I'm going to take you up on it. I'm going to stop pursuing everyone else. I'm going to start pursuing you for that same, I need this ache filled inside. He put it there. If you at, remotely have the tiniest yearning right now that says, hey, is that on the menu for me too? I'm serious. Stages are stupid. I'm not up here something. I haven't done anything different than the grace of God. Whether it's raising the dead or taking a nap, if it's obedience to the Lord, the pay is the same. It happened because of His grace, not your specialness. You just might have said, okay then. And God's excited about that. But the actual supernatural power that changes anything, that's from him. You know, I'm in the first line. I'm like the Shrek donkey in the back, like, pick me, pick me, you know? Why? Because there's, there's a verse that says in 2 Chronicles, I forget the last address, so it's, I got the street right. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, looking for hearts that are completely his. Why? That he might strongly support them. The Lord says yes. He wants you to know that verse. That was perfect. It's that important. It's called a panic button. You're so funny. I really could not have planned that. I did not tell some small kid, like, hit this button when I say this, okay? 
So, I want you to think about the great exchange. I have no, I have no idea when I started, so I have no idea when I'm supposed to stop. Someone tell me, anyone? Jesus said, go for it, Brad. The great exchange, you have as much of God as you want. So I'm going to encourage you, go all in. The, the times are that difficult. They're that scary. If you're waiting for somebody else to show up, they're not coming. Why? Because God gave dominion on this planet to the race of humans. And he's never taken it back. And despite some people's theology that says, well, the devil stole it. No, no, no. We sinned. We fell. He took advantage of that. He's a liar, a cheat, a thief, and a murderer. He doesn't have the authorized power to do what he scares us with. Does it mean he's not real? Does it mean he can't still kill and destroy? I have been his victim numerous times over. I'm just tired of that. Are you? We have authority. He does not have authority. He uses power. How? He solicits it from stupid humans that turn it over. Stop being one of those. Take it back. What? Rightly relating back to Jesus. All authority. I mean, what Jaron what Jaren shared, if we would realize this, God's not going to come fix the government. He's expecting the forgotten sovereign that we collectively are. He said, it's your mess. It happened on your watch. It happened with your complicity, whether passive or active. Well, I didn't know. Not a valid excuse. Have any of us repented for our times of ignorance and stupidity and, well, it's just, I don't like politics. I don't give a... What are politics? The outworking of your discipleship. New definition. You're doing them whether you realize that or not. The lady that was up here talking about homeschooling, you don't realize this. I do. I was a youth pastor for tons of time. You're homeschooling. You just don't have any classes. Your kids look at you for their largest voice. They only stop looking to you once they realize you're not interested at the level that they are in wanting your attention. Ouch. Well, yeah, ouch. You farmed out your responsibility for someone else to educate them. Why did you do that, especially when they're twerking and they're looking blah, blah. If the teacher has pink or blue hair, pink and blue are wonderful, but that isn't the God-given color that he gave you. There's something going on inside that's manifesting in their hair. They're just trying to let you know, warning, warning. It's like a dash light on your car. Something's wrong. 
I mean, I don't mean to be unkind. I, I, it's like, you know, hey, you can do whatever you want with your hair. It just, it tells me something. Are you at peace with yourself? No, something's screaming on the inside. Because yeah, the person that does that, if their life manifested differently, we'd all hang around them. They're going after our kids. And let me tell you a couple of good but scary things. Somebody sent this to me, and I don't know the two ladies' names, and some of you may have seen this. I don't know that it's far and wide, but when I listen to it, everyone was like, well, who is it, and what's their credentials? I, I, don't, I don't care. I'm listening to it. I'm listening for my shepherd. And when I saw it, I went, oh, wow, that resonates. My shepherd sent this to me. These ladies were talking. One of them, you know, they're sort of prophetic intercessor types. And that can be squirrely. Just I've, I've pastored long enough to know that could be squirrely. And they shared a dream, and it was about 2025. But they shared it with a soberness that was really disturbing. They talked about there was a planned contagion released in 2025. And what they saw in this dream is they saw teams of FEMA-type people coming to people's doors and grabbing their children and pulling them out. And the most kind of horrific thing for parents and the horrific thing for kids. And they were forced vaccinating them. It was at a level that it was like, this was beyond just a little hemorrhagic fever. It, was, had, a, it had a very high kill rate. And so it was sort of like, we're emergency, whatever. And it's like, people are like, that's wrong. You can't do that. But everyone was screaming and everyone was holding. And there was a different set of people. A different set of people in that moment went down to their knees in the front of their house. They got between those people and their kids and they started calling out to God. And they weren't talking to someone they didn't know. They were praying with authority and power and understanding. And those government people could not get through. They tried, but they could not get through. See, we don't really know how to exercise our power, but you had best learn. Because life is coming at a level that if you don't, you will become roadkill. And it's not because that's what God wants. But the way we pray, we're always asking God to do stuff. What if he's commissioned us to do those things? How would you, if you were God, answering that prayer? Like if my kids were always saying, Daddy, would you do this for me? Daddy, would you do this for me? It's fine when they're two to five. It's not fine when they're five to seven. It's not fine when they're 35. We got something wrong here. We have a failure to grow up, a failure to launch. Okay? I've pastored long enough to say this. Church, we have a failure to launch. We have a failure to grow up. We're not using our authority, and we won't get through the next season ahead without you learning that. And a few individuals might make it, but as a whole collective, we're going to get shred. Well, that's great. That's really inspiring, Brad. How do you learn to do that? It's not going to more classes. It is not going to more seminars. It's not like how to use authority, 101. It's like, you know what? Could you go to the living God? Could you ask of him direct? Because until you get confident there, 
every time you go to somebody else that has flesh and blood that's easier, you're passively disengaging your own confidence that you count directly with him. I resigned as a pastor. I had officially already lit the fuse and you know called the bluff on a whole bunch of embezzlement and a whole bunch of stuff, and so they were coming after me. You know, but before I left, I officially resigned because the group that I was caring for, I said, look, I have given you the whole counsel of God. I have faithfully done my job as a shepherd. I have modeled it. I have preached it. I have exhorted it. We've done labs. We've done everything. The real issue is you have to live it. There's nothing more that I can say to you that I haven't already said in the foundation. So from here on out, I might attend our meetings, but I might not. And I'm going to sit down and simply be one among you as we all go after the one shepherd I've been trying to point you to. Okay? They thought, oh, that's a cute sermon thing. No, I got in my car, I walked out, and I left. I put it there. I, I walked out, and then I got in my car, and I left. Because I didn't have my car in the front. So that would be a different sermon illustration. They thought I was going to come back after a half hour. The janitor finally closed the doors at midnight, but they were still wondering, when is he really going to come back? He didn't really mean that, did he? It's like, yes, I did. And they had to figure out how to grow up. And I, I really want to encourage you, 2025, some kind of contagion, is, 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 that, is that real? Is it, I mean, is it really going to happen? I don't know. Everyone else thinks an asteroid is going to hit here September 23rd. That would be Saturday. Personally, I have to fly back and get some things done, so I'm going to be out here directing traffic and telling the asteroid to go hit some other planet. Okay? I don't have time for this. I have got a little mustard seed of faith. Be careful. Back up. I'm going to use it. I don't know why we're, I mean, did anyone check in? Anyone who's frightened about those things, did you check in with God? Like, hey, they're, say, they're playing the scary music again. Is there anything, I, do I need to be concerned? It's like you and me, we've, we've got plans that go well into like 2045. It's like, are they all screwed? Didn't you know God? I mean, do, do, you, do you think about, if God's actually called you to do some stuff, don't you think he knows if, if, if it was over next week, don't you think he would have said, I just take the, you know, I can't tell you, don't want to freak you out. There's going to be a cataclysm. Everyone's dying. So I'll just wait for the bus. The rapture's coming. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that bus. I, I did say to someone else, I hope it actually comes because all the people that are just sitting around waiting for it, they're in the way, they suck, they don't do any good. Would you pick them up and take them? Then the rest of us might then organize and do something about it. Okay? I am a pan-tribulationist. It will all pan out. Okay? I'm a also, I'm a with him guy. There is one group of people in the Bible that make it all the way to the end. 
Let me, let me tell you how to read the book of Revelation. It is a wedding invitation. Girls, you can spend the rest of your life getting ready for that moment. It's just the shoes are army boots. And there's a holster. And a few other accoutrements. But if we would look at this, why is God allowing all of this stuff to happen? Everyone, anyone think that? God, if you really love me, if you're so powerful and you're so loving, why did this happen? <laughs> anyone? I mean, I, I've done that. God, why? I mean, I think some of the angels are doing what you're doing. They're looking at it like, serious? Are they retarded? See, dominion has been given to us. If God intervenes in everything, how do you grow? He hasn't left us, and he still gets to vote, and he still intervenes. But most of the time, he's trying to say, hey, is there anyone out there that will engage? I will load your gun. I will back up your words. Ask of me. Ask anything in my name. If two of you, just two of you, would get together and agree, ask in my name, and I will do it. Why? So that your joy may be complete. God's like, oh, come on. Will anyone? We don't ask. We worry. Just listen to yourself and all the other people when you get together and pray. How many times does the word just get inserted into our weird way of talking? Lord, I just, I just, and it's like, it's a speech impediment. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you insert the word just, I know you don't really mean it. You don't know that this is a real transaction and the Father's taking it seriously. You're not sure what you're doing. I'm not judging you. I'm just out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You haven't been there enough to drop the word. I know what it is to go into the throne room and say, hey, I have an issue. I'm demanding a verdict here. I have found a situation that is seriously wrong. And I'm not just here because it's injurious to me. I know it's wrong and, and, and it's going to destroy a lot of things. So God, I'm asking right now for a verdict in heaven. And then it's, I'm not saying you fix it. I'm saying now, what do I have authority to go and do now that I've met with you, got clarity on your will, and how do we implement this? Our actions would be so much more powerful on earth if we first went up to heaven and conferred. How are we told to pray? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. How? On earth, just like it is in heaven. 
Well, how do you know it's going to be answered? Have you gone up there? You're invited. Do you know what it looks like up there? Do you worry about, you know, like, does God do divine healing? I don't know. Did you check up in heaven? Are there sick people there? So until he shows you one, maybe go with the obvious that that's an enemy that we're going to fight against. Will I win? Well, read Hebrews 11. The first half is a bunch of guys that won. The second half is a bunch of guys that fought but didn't get what they fought for. Nobody preaches that in the name it and claim it services. But I read the whole thing, and God says of those people that fought, though they didn't obtain, he said the world was not worthy of them. Pretty sure they're not bummed out in heaven right now. If God writes over your life, the world is not worthy of that one. I'll take that t-shirt. I'll take that reward. And so I, I want to encourage you. We got a few more days to be all together, together, together. And when that happens, God is in our midst. We have to produce some real warriors that will make a real difference. And they don't all look like special forces trained people with dogs, and that's not poking at Pete. Okay? I love that those guys are showing up and say, I need some more of this Jesus stuff. They know how to do kinetic warfare down here. They know how to be smart. They know how to win the hearts of the arena. I mean, they know how to go in and make a difference. I just want to help them go up and hold counsel. Then let's work together as an army and go and do the very things. Purpose statement of Jesus. I've come to destroy the works of the devil. We live in a target-rich environment. I don't know what the will of God is. I don't know. Find an injustice and do something. Start there. Okay? There we go. Stand here. I think we're coming to a close, yes? The crook is not after me yet, but... Yeah? Are you guys good? I haven't lulled you to sleep? Let me give you the... the, the, the so, 2025 contagion. That was a scary dream that one of these ladies had. She had it twice. Exact thing. That's a little disturbing because oftentimes when you have the same dream twice, it means it's been decided in heaven. I don't know if I agree with that, but that is a biblical thing you can look at. I'm just going like, okay, um, I'm going to take that as something I can still destroy because that's a work of the devil, okay? I'm not going to roll over and say, well, you know, Jesus said it's fine. I don't know. Why don't you change it till he tells you to stop? There are some things that God would say, no, no. There are, there are dudes that went up in the Bible and, and it's kind of like, hey, what's about to happen, even if Noah, Job, and I'm forgetting the third dude, that came before him, they would only be able to save themselves. Daniel. And I think, I think when you look at that, it's like, oh my gosh, some people have a greater voice with God. Yeah, why? Well, they have a greater relationship of confidence, trust, and they are a son. 
And it's time for us to recognize what that word is. That's someone who has come of their inheritance. When you start in this whole thing with Jesus, you start and you become a convert. You say, okay, I, I would like some salvation. That's a great idea. I would like a get out of hell free card. I would like fire insurance and I, and I want to go to heaven. Good, great starting point. I really wish the church would go on to some more steps than just that one. Because there's a lot more maturity for us. When I become a convert, then I need to become a thing called a believer. Like God actually means this stuff and it's real. And I add, I add real faith to what's going on. Not as a muscle, as a response to a dialogue. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That word is the present tense voice of the Holy Spirit. The difference between faith and presumption is the guy that has faith heard something from God. The guy that's acting in presumption wants something and calls it faith because he's trying really hard. They're not the same thing. There's a, there's a frequency of difference. You will know it if you know him. So I need to be a convert. I need to become a believer. And then I need to show up as an others-centered person where I start to say, okay, I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to learn of my master. And, and the first thing is I'm going to become a servant. As I become a servant, it's not, it's not something you have to do. It's something you willingly do. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to do that for life. That's called a bond servant. Someone that pledges themselves to the king forever. And once they do that, he says, no longer do I call you that. I want you to be friends. I want you to know what I'm doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freely tell you. I'm going to let you in on what's going on because I can trust you. I know you're here not for yourself. You're not just trying to get goodies. You're trying to move the kingdom. And as those friends come in, as those friends then mature, they come to a place of full inheritance of sons. And what gets entrusted to them is the greater works, the works of the age to come, and you become an authorized supernatural agent that is destroying the works of the devil, freeing people, seeing healing happen. You're operating as one of the ones that, you know, hell goes, oh no, he's up. What's he going to do today? I, I want to be one of those people. We have to grow up into all those things. And so, so I'm going to, because they gave me five minutes, I think I've used three, so I got two, okay? <laughs> the other dream that these ladies has, as they prayed into what was going on, and they're kind of realizing, wait a minute, God, if that's real, you don't ever just release something that would cause me to be frightened. You have a response. You have a something for us to do. So don't just share the scary meme. Share the scary meme with the answer that you got from heaven before you send it. Okay, because we just feed into the enemy. We give the wrong side more energy to do stuff and we're not helping each other. These ladies, this, this lady, it's, 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 it's weird for a lady to have this dream, so I think it's probably one that she didn't make up. All of a sudden in this dream, she was a cow. <laughs> the, la the lady's got that, I would never, I've never put myself as a cow. She saw herself as a cow, and all of a sudden she was in this big herd, and everyone, was, all, all the herd was being herded into the 
you know, narrower and narrower little sluice gates. And all of a sudden, this one cow realized, oh, we're headed to slaughter. And it's, it's like the Spirit of God came on her in this dream. And all of a sudden, she realized she had to do something. No one else was. No one else was paying attention. Everyone else was just simply moving along. And I, I, I did hear this, and I checked this out, and Scott and I got some cows up on a property, so he's learning all. I, I listened to him. So we know something about cows, and I'm just vicariously learning from being down in California. And I'm going like, wow. When they, when they bring the herd in, the cowboy's job is to look for that one cow that gets the wild eye look in, and all of a sudden they know they have trouble. If they don't immediately stop that one wild eye cow, they're all in trouble and this whole thing is over because that cow is going to stampede. And the word that the Lord gave to this lady as she's sitting there, it says, it's time for a stampede. Okay? That means you don't comply, you don't agree, you recognize this is all headed towards slaughter, and we're not going to have anything of it. We're going to stop it. Why? Because you're going to be ungovernable. You're not going to comply. Whoever it is, whatever it is, oh, they're just obeying orders. Blanket. And stampede. There's going to be people, and when that starts to happen, you got you to gotta respond. The one thing that was fun at the end of it is one of the other ladies praying into that dream says, God already has a cow. And I went, awesome. What's the cow? California, Oregon, and Washington. The three places that God could never do that in well, I know some wild-eyed people in those places, and I at least are the one of them. I'm going to go, I can cause a stampede, so I got California. Scott has Oregon. We just need someone in Washington to seal the deal. Okay? All right. They're about to pull me off. Can we pray? Will you stand to your feet? I'm going to ask you a question. Are you willing to be that cow? Okay. I don't care what you answer to me. I want you to. And if you're not, are you willing for God to do something in you that conquers the fear so that you can say, oh, yeah, I got this. Okay. Jesus, I ask for every single one here. They've stood up. They've, they, they're standing, Lord. Will you take notice of their life? And I'm asking for heaven to invade. Would you take every ounce of ground that's in their life and would you make it yours? Unite my heart to fear your name. God, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit overflowing would you flood out every vestige of hell and the enemy, every point of enslavement? Would you come and be greater 
be more mighty, be the king that rules over every area of their life. And then God ignite them on fire in such a way that that cannot be put out. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. All right, that was Brad Cummings. That's awesome. We're going to have stretch a little bit. We've got about five minutes. And then this, I want you to hear this next speaker. This is the last speaker before dinner. She's awesome. Donica, you will be stunned and amazed by all she has to bring, right? Yes? You can say yes. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay, so let's ramp it up. Yes. Okay, so we have a few more things uh, that are fun. So... Who's the, who's the lady that's making all these awesome Bards hats that have already gone? But you can, okay. You're going to order these. These are awesome hats, so you can order them. And I just want you guys to be aware of that. And I forgot to announce the popcorn, um, non-GMO popcorn, non-GMO, um, okay, uh, beans guy back in the back. How many people do we have from Michigan? A lot, okay, we have a lot of people from Michigan. So he runs a... Uh, a PMA where, and if you're in Lansing, Detroit, Kalamazoo, um, he will deliver, uh, they got grass fed beef. We're actually going to be eating his grass fed beef tonight. So you can try it out. Okay. So it's going to be awesome. He's doing, uh, forest pigs. Uh, they're doing check chicken tractors. So the whole deal. So check him out. Uh, obviously we want to support, he's been listening to Bards for a while. So Guys, just support all the people who are doing the Bards things. And don't forget to get um, Joe Allen's book while you're here because he's on the front lines with that. So to, to, right now, I've got the one, the only Donica Hudson. You guys are in for a treat tonight. Um, she is a friend of mine. She is a powerful firehouse woman of God. I love her so much. Uh, don't go anywhere. If your friends or your family need deliverance, go get them now. Go get them now. If you think, if they don't think they need it, but you think they do, go get them now. Okay. And that's probably everybody. Okay. I don't think anybody's here like, oh, um, honey, you don't, you're fine. No, you, you're like, get in here. You need some deliverance. Okay. She's, she's awesome. She's a woman of God. She's got some giveaways for us today. Okay, this is the first one. She's got Families and Churches United in uh, Word, Prayer for Freedom and the Healing of America, the Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So this is our first giveaway. Joy so, Lamb. Okay, and the Joy Lamb. So we want to give this one away to who drove the farthest to get here. Okay, so who thinks they probably drove the farthest? Okay, I wanted you to shoot out some hours. How, how many hours did it take you all to get here? You're a 24, Devin, you didn't drive, you flew. 34. 34. It took her 34 hours to get here from California. All right, that's that's a winner. That's a winner. Where's Michelle? Michelle left me. Okay, so she's giving this away. Hey, 
Come on up, come on up. Okay, so who do you think, who's been listening to Scott the longest, do you think? Okay, who's been listening to him for three or more years? Uh, who's been listening to him for four years? How long has he been doing his podcast? Who's been listening to him for five years? Okay, How, who's been listening to him for six years? Okay, so we got two ladies here about five years. So we're going to do two. Okay, the two ladies for five years. Come on up. What's the last one? Okay, all right. So I want you guys to do something. I want you to get out your phones, and I want you to put in Donica.org, and I want you guys to register. And the first one that registers gets Donica's book, Pray America Great, and Families and Churches United in Word Prayer. So who's going to – who? so everybody go to – it's Donica Hudson, right? Or what is yeah. it? Tell them to go to Donica.org. And you, if you go to Donica.org and register, it is a free workbook of what I'm going to be teaching on. It's six hours of teaching, four podcasts, and an entire workbook for free. I've never done that before, but I did it for Bards Fest. So go there and sign up. For free tonight, you guys are going to get the workbook. She normally does this at a three-session uh, program. And the people leave completely delivered. She's going to try to pack in as much as she can today. So raise your hand when you have gone to Donica.org. Okay, we got one. We got a winner. Okay, okay. so I'm not going to take any more time of Donica. She's because she's got a lot to do. So go ahead, take it away. Okay. Hello, patriots and prayer warriors. How you doing? Still awake? <laughs> awesome. Well, I am so glad to be here with you. I drove about uh, six and a half hours. It should have been five and a half from the mountains of North Carolina, and it's wonderful to be here. Um, you know, I've been praying for you guys. I've had our whole church team praying for you all that whatever you came here to receive, because this is equipping. Scott's got it on the Bardfest information. It's about equipping. That you would not leave here without getting what you came here for. You in agreement with that? When you're in agreement, you will. Okay, so there are worksheets. Um, I believe Stacy has those that she's passing out right now. Does everybody have that? It's got, it's got the heart tablet sheet first. It looks like this, okay? And then on the back is the cross. So I just wanna make sure if you don't have one, raise your hand. Okay, there's some hands over here over here and one at the back okay so I want to ask you guys why do you come to Bard's Fest why do you come there's probably lots of reasons but they're all kind of around the same thing we know we're losing our country right we want to do something about it and we know the answer is Jesus first Okay, so what I'm going to talk to you about is how do we take America back? What's the key to possessing the heartland, not only of our country, but of our own hearts? What's the key? So when I talked to Michelle and Leah and they said, you know, we're going to equip folks for deliverance. I was like, wow. Who's doing that these days? I mean, it's not, most churches are not. By and large, there are some really good deliverance churches, but by and large, they are not. 
but Scott is, the chicks are, and you are going to know how to keep your heart tablets clean, as well as your household, those that God brings to you, and actually your regions and your territories. So we're going to talk about possessing the heartland, the tablets of your own heart. And I want you to understand, this comes straight out of the Bible. In the Old Covenant, what was in, when I say Old Covenant, I'm talking about the Old Testament and the Ark of the Covenant, you know, with God's presence that the Israelites carried on the poles. What was in that Ark of the Covenant? Three things. Right, there was the manna pot, that was provision. There was Aaron's rod, that was authority. And the third thing was the Ten Commandments, the tablets, okay? Now, why do I bring that up? Well, because in this new and better covenant, the new covenant, that Ark of the Covenant is our heart, okay? So we need to understand God is going to provide. These potlucks are a perfect example of how he's providing, homesteading, the way that he is leading us and guiding us into his plan for provision. Secondly, I want to talk to you about authority because you cannot have deliverance. You can't take back a country. You can't be a soldier in the military if you don't understand authority. So Jesus, the centurion came to Jesus and he said, my servant needs healing. He's going to die. Just say the word, Jesus. He said, I am a man under authority. And I understand authority. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. What did Jesus say? I've not heard of such great faith in all of Israel. So what did Jesus equate great faith to? Authority. The military guys will get this. Jesus understood that if we get a hold of our authority, who we are in Christ Jesus, that we only have to say the word and it will be done. And Jesus said, go, your servant is healed. That's the authority we have to understand we possess as part of the new and better covenant through Jesus' shed blood, that when we say the word, go, enemy, you have no legal right. I know the word of God. I know the common law. We heard about that earlier. There is power in knowing who you are and what rights you have. So when you tell the enemy no more because you know what God's word says, he has to flee. That is really key. So with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is part of the new covenant of grace through Jesus' shed blood, we then possess our hearts, okay? Just like in the old covenant, God's presence went with the Israelites in the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and other, other nations thought it was like a big old rabbit's foot. Oh, they've got good luck. We know better. He is the living God who dwells richly within us. It's like Brad said earlier, no AI can touch the spirit. Do we have to know about it? Absolutely. I wrote a book about dethroning the deep state and how to take authority over the Antichrist spirit that's behind AI. But everything that has a name, in Deuteronomy 28, has to bow to the name of Jesus. And whose image were we created in? God's image, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so when we have that fullness of the Holy Spirit, we possess our heartland, and we possess God's promises. 
The same promises in the Old Covenant of provision, authority, and the fulfillment of God's law, the Ten Commandments through Jesus who fulfilled the law. Okay, so how many in here want the fullness of the Holy Spirit? All right, stand up. Stand up right now. In the name of Jesus. Okay, chicks, turn around. And, and All right, raise your hands up to the Lord. Father God, we plead the blood of Jesus over every person here. Your word tells us that you will not give us a stone if we asked for bread. God, I thank you that you want us to crave you. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray the fullness of the Holy Spirit in an Acts chapter 2, new covenant promise upon every person here who has raised their hands. Father, your word provides for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and I thank you that we have it now in the name of Jesus. Repeat after me. Lord, fill me to overflowing. I thank you that Jesus paid the price on the cross at Calvary for the remission of my sins and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this new and better covenant. Amen. Okay, you can expect that when you ask God for the fullness of his spirit, it is done. You don't have to go back and beg, okay? What you do have to do is yield yourself to operating in that fullness and in the gifts of the Spirit. So what does the Bible say is the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit? You have your own prayer language, right? You speak in tongues, okay? So what the purpose of that is is that we are able to intercede the Holy Spirit in us straight up to, the, to God's throne, we don't know what to pray, but he will pray, the, the Bible says, through utterance of other tongues, the tongues of men and angels, prayer that is groaning. How many of you have been in a pinch where all you could do was groan? It was prayer. Okay? So God wants you to know he hears that, and he is filling you with that. Now, I did not receive my prayer language easily because I was... I had my mind in the way, and I was like, oh, I've got to read about every other religion first and make sure that this is okay, to, that Jesus is the only way. Then when I got that settled, I had to decide that, oh, okay, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is really scriptural, so I'm reading through everything there and realize that, yes, even though I grew up in a cessationist church, which means the gifts ceased, that it was for real. It's in, all through from Matthew to Revelation in the New Covenant. And I said, okay, God, fill me. But you have to know it is his word that has come to pass in your life. And he wants you to. It's the power. You know, in Acts chapter 2, when Jesus received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, the word there, the Greek word is dunamis power, dynamite power filled him, and he was 30 years old. At that point, his miracles ministry began for three more years. That was a precedent for us as believers. If the Son of God had to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? Okay, so that is a promise. You have that promise. Let him flow through you. Okay. And the reason we have to make sure that we are operating in that new covenant promise is that there's no point in teaching on deliverance if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you're not born again, if you haven't acknowledged Jesus as your risen Lord and Savior. We just took care of that. 
That is the pre-qualification. So, yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> Amen, Joe. Amen. <laughs> That's the dog confirmation. Okay. So, this pull out your tablets worksheet here. This is your heart. So, we're going to possess our heartland. Cuz we cannot take a country back if we can't take our own hearts back. Strongholds are formed. Now that's a military term too, isn't it? Strongholds are also formed in our hearts as well in, as in wars on the earth, okay? And they're formed when we believe and live by lies. How we got that lie could be a myriad of ways, but it's ultimately it's bondage. It's a stronghold, okay? We can inherit those. It can come down through the bloodline. You know, you can pass, um, a mother can pass, for instance, rejection in the womb to a child. And that's a stronghold. And the child ends up, they, they grow up and they're feeling unloved and like they're never good enough. And they try and try and earn. And, and it's rejection. I know, I was set free from it. And it was a whole new day. Yeah, it was. It was just awesome, awesome what God did. Um, so no matter how you incurred a stronghold, and when I say stronghold, think about things that you just really wish you had victory over. Because we're going to go from victimization to victory here. Yeah. Anything. I don't care what it is. So no matter how it came or what the point of entry was, from the enemy, the solution is still the same. You have to identify the lie and replace it with the truth of God's word. And so here are some questions. As you've got that heart tablet worksheet in front of you, just put on the horse blinders. Don't worry about who's sitting around you or being vulnerable. We're all, we've all got stuff, okay? And I want you to think about these questions. This is in my workbook, and when you go to the website, you can download this whole workbook for free. And I would encourage you to do the whole thing to get the maximum results. But here's some questions to prompt lies that you may have believed. Do you see yourself as fearfully and wonderfully made? Let's be honest. Do you? Why? The Bible said that you are, and you're made in his image. Why don't you believe that? Oh, did mom or dad say something negative? Did a bully at school say something like, oh, you have a dog face or you're just fat and you're never going to be pretty? You can identify these things and write them down. It's the lie. It could be a word curse. So write that down in the lie column. And then on the right, you write God's word. And God's word does say that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know, at the bottom of the heart tablet, Psalm 23, 7, for as a man or woman thinks in his heart, so is he. So really, how we think is how we're going to live. And it's either going to be free or in bondage. It really does start with appropriating the word. This is how you stay free from bondage. Do you see yourself as pure sexually, virtuous, morally, and washed in the blood of Jesus. Now let me just say right here, everybody's got some sin, particularly in our culture today, there's a lot of sexual sin. But God can restore that purity to you. It is a matter of receiving and being washed in the blood of Jesus. Every one of us should be able to access that. 
So you would write there what you feel. You know, I've seen people that they would take baths, and, it, and this is when they would scrub their skin. I've seen this particularly with people that got delivered from uh, homosexual demons, and they would scrub their skin until it hurt because they felt so unclean. And then God told them in the word, jumped off the page at them, oh, you're free by the blood of the lamb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love you with an unconditional love. Your sin is cast as far as the east is from the west. Don't even think about it anymore. And so what you do is you replace that lie with the truth on the other side of the heart tablet there on your worksheet. And any time the enemy comes at you and tries to tell you that same old lie, you may have heard it all your life or ever since the abandonment or betrayal. Anytime he comes, you say the word of God, just like Jesus did. What did Jesus say when Satan came to him to tempt him? Throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. It is written. That's his command. That's his command. It is written. Worship the Lord God and him only, okay? Satan's trying to tempt Jesus to worship, worship him to give him all the earth. Same old lie. And, you, you know, you see it happen in Hollywood, and you... And, and we see our kids just flocking to that. Oh, they have everything. And, and then you start understanding why we've been in this massive psyop with the media and everything else that's going on, the AI that's used to pull them into a virtual reality that is just not real. And we have to intervene. We have to wake up and understand these are strongholds. The enemy will use anything he can to do it. Do you feel or do you see yourself prospering in all that you put your hand to, educationally, socially, professionally, and spiritually? If not, why not? What's the lie there? Write it down. Do you feel worthy of being healed by God? Believe it or not, there's a lot of people that walk around unhealed because they, they're just like, well, I did that thing way back then, you know, serves me right. I should have never done that. When Jesus took the punishment once and for all upon the cross, I mean, what do we need him for if we're going to walk around with an a, a ailment that we think came from our bad sin? You know, he wants us to realize the truth of his word and live by it. Do you see yourself? Oh, let me ask this. Do you believe God punishes with sickness? That's a big one. Does he punish individuals in covenant relationship with him with sickness? Now, I'm not talking about the plagues. That's a different ball of wax. We're in a new covenant. You and I, his children that he loves, would you punish your child with sickness? No, Jesus also took that. He took his sicknesses and diseases upon himself at the cross. In the old covenant, when the Israelites would come to, they would see the animal sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb, when that priest, even in the old covenant, broke the body of the lamb, all the Israelites were healed. And when the blood was shed, the sins were forgiven. Now that ought to settle it once and for all. That is discerning the body of Christ rightly when you take communion. It's not being afraid and in fear that, oh God, I didn't repent of that sin. I might be heaping sickness upon me as it's wrongly taught in many churches. I want you to understand, God set a precedent way back in the old covenant. Jesus fulfilled the tabernacle, I'm sorry, the, taber, the tablets of your heart once and for all. 
He fulfilled that law. So no, we do not have to live and think we're going to be punished by God with sickness. Do you see yourself seated at the right hand of God in all spiritual blessing and authority with Christ Jesus? Do, can you envision that? Think about what you're going through now. What's something you really want to overcome? Think of whatever it is. It's not too big for God. But if you have the vantage point of you're, with, <laughs> you're seated with God and you're looking down on this earth at what all's going on, you have a whole new perspective. He wants you to think like that because that's the authority he's given you. Do you see yourself doing greater works than Christ? Because Jesus said that's what you shall do. Do you see yourself doing that? That's hard to imagine. I mean, Jesus raised people from the dead. But I've, I haven't personally, but I've seen people raised from the dead. He said it. It's true. It often doesn't happen here because in Jeremiah 17, 5, there's a, a scripture that I used to put up years ago in front of my desk. It said, there's a curse placed on those who trust in the arm of flesh. Yeah. And have stopped trusting God. Well, that's so easy to do here. Somebody said something. I think Brad said it earlier. We, we use Google. Listen, <laughs> I've had demons speak out of people's mouths to me, and one of them was eight ball. That was way before technology. People were seeking the answer in an eight ball, okay? And that spirit spoke through that lady's mouth to me, and I got rid of it. That's because if you seek anything more than you seek God, now I'm not saying, you know, oh, we are possessed with Google. <laughs> I'm not saying that, okay? But what I am saying is we have to be careful of where we start pledging our allegiance, where we start looking for our answers, because when the, the guy who spoke earlier about AI, spot on, it is a new religion. They do believe at the World Economic Forum I wrote a lot about that in, in my prayer to dethrone the Antichrist. They do believe that they are ascending into uh, deity. They say that they are gods, and they will achieve immortality through AI. Okay? That's a real thing. Transhumanism. And the Lord wants us to know who we are. He, when we're presented with the opportunities we're going to have in the next 10 years that we probably can't even fathom yet, that we know quickly what the word of God says, who we are, and whether and who's behind it. Is it the spirit of Antichrist? Or is this okay according to God's word? Does it match who he says I am? Because again, we're created in his image. Do you feel loved unconditionally by God? By your parents? By your spouse? Your pastors? Your church? Your friends? Or your children? Well, that's a hard thing. But it starts with receiving God's unconditional love. Because when we know that we're loved by him, no matter how much we mess up, because he says he'll forgive us 70 times 7, right? Then we can, with, with full assurity, say, okay, God, I can do this. I can live this life. I can be set free from these strongholds because I know you love me. See, nobody's going to want prayer from me or you or any kind of thing you got to give them if they don't, if you don't, if they don't know that you first love them right? So if I don't know that God loves me, how am I going to receive every spiritual going to receive every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus that he died for me to have? I'm not. 
I'm going to say, oh, no, I got hurt of that church. I'm not going back to a church. Forget that. <laughs> you know, and we're part of the body of Christ. So this is church here. You know, there's the church ecclesia and the church diaspora. We're diaspora right now. We're from all over the country. We're still part of the same body. We have brothers and sisters around the world that are part of the same body. And when we're in heaven, we will all be around the throne together worshiping him. Do you believe, this is for your heart tablets, that love should hurt? Growing up, I grew up on, we raised horses out in the, in the country. And I had a neighbor, sweetheart, we're still dear friends today. I didn't know that she was being sexually abused by her father every day until she was 16 years old. And I interviewed her on my TV show at the time. And she said, love should not hurt. This is how children, as simple as it is, can tell the difference. It shouldn't hurt. Love shouldn't hurt. That's not love, okay? Her daddy told her it was, but that's not love. And it shouldn't hurt. And when we hurt each other living in a holy way, we still are human. We're going to mess up. Just repent quickly, okay? Do you believe love should be fearful? That's another one, huh? We've all got triggers. Part of this exercise to remove strongholds is you trace it, you face it, and you erase it. So you trace that lie, you face it. That's what we're doing right now because as you write these down, you erase it with the word of God, right? Okay, so take a little bit of time right now and write these things down, okay? Just don't let your mind get in the way. Just write down the lies. If you don't have time to go through the word yet, do it tonight, okay? And download the workbook. But you're going to get what, out of it what you put into it. Y'all have pens and paper. I see some of you writing. Okay. Okay. All right. So wildly possessing our own heart could be very similar to possessing the land and i mean in a military way taking america back if we can rule our own heart and our own tongues then we can do god's bidding to take the country back because we're listening to him we're operating according to his word and his will so in order to possess that heartland and soldiers will be able to tell me this. There could be no place for fear, right? None. There's a fearless one over there. I know that. Because if there's fear, you've given the enemy ground, okay, in our own hearts and in this land. So what is it that gives us the confidence not to have fear? 
Well, it's the things we've been talking about. First of all, unconditional love from God. Knowing, kind of like Brad was the perfect example. <laughs> that you can wear the I'm awesome shirt, all right? <laughs> because Jesus loves me, right? He gave his life for me, all right? That God took the time to create us in his image. Really? That's mind-boggling, right? Amen. It is. It is. Oh, goodness. So... Do we, well, let me, let me read this scripture because I felt like this really applied. In Deuteronomy 1, Moses is speaking to Israelites about possessing the promised land. So he's rebuking them because of their lack of faith over the bad report from the spies. Okay, so you know fret, uh, fear spreads. It just does. If you talk and you entertain the enemy, it'll creep into your own heart. Okay, the Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb. He said, you've been at this mountain long enough. Break camp. Get going. Proceed to the hill country of the Amorites and all the nearby places in the Arabah Desert. I can't get it out. The highlands, the foothills, the Negev, the coastal plains, all of the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river as the Euphrates. So he's showing them all of this, and he said, look, man, get going. I've given you the land that lies ahead. He said, go in and possess that land. And I, the Lord, promised to give it to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as to their descendants. Now, God here is pointing to covenant. Does God break covenant? No, who breaks it? We do. And he knows that. But he wants us to know he won't break it. He, everything he's done is by covenant. He covenanted with night and day. He covenanted with Abraham to bring Jesus into the world. You know, they did that infinity thing around the sacrifice. And Abraham was going to give his own son so that God would give his. But God provided the ram in the bush. Pretty cool, huh? So he's not going to break our covenant. You're born again. You, you have accepted Jesus by his shed blood. The fact that he hung on a tree and broke that curse, he's not going anywhere. The founding colonists, they knew that. So when the resistance chicks did the Mayflower, um, the Restoring the Covenant trip, uh, trip that we had last year in the fall, um, we did the recovenanting with the Mayflower Compact. What we did is we asked God, see, that's a civil covenant. And our founding fathers, and the reason I'm telling you this, is you're here at Bard's Fest. You're all about taking America back and being equipped, right? So if we're going to be equipped for our own hearts, know how to do deliverance, we also have to know when people are sent to us, our rights to the land, you're getting, it, you're getting equipped in all ways, from common law to knowing how to take back the ground from the enemy, both on this earth and in our hearts. Okay, so... Going back and realizing that our country, just like Israel, is founded on civil covenants made with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, gives us a legal right. So that's one reason we did, the, uh, we did this thing in April called the covenant. Same thing. We couldn't get the chicks to come because they were busy, worn out probably from the 1620 Mayflower thing, but we did this with Cape Henry, okay, where we recovenanted with the Lord. We basically remarried America to God, and we cited the covenantal part. I have this at my book table if you want to see it. Um, you can get one. We do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves. This is what 
our founding fathers said when they landed in 1607, April 26, planted a huge wooden cross at Cape Henry, and they dedicated it to the Lord. They knelt, they took communion, and they said, get this, I want you to notice where the focus is and what they were thinking about. What do you think was on their minds? We dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations after us. And with these generations, take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains. And may this land be evangelist to the world. May all who see this cross remember what we've done here, and may those who come here to inhabit join us in this covenant. So, you're going to go take a land. You're going to establish a new country. For whom? Yeah? Jesus first, then whom? Your children. It's about the children. It's our posterity. What good is it if we all die in the land? It's not. There's no good in that. But our founding fathers knew, and we were on their minds. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you again. How do we take America back? What is the key to possessing the land, patriots? Think about it. So we American patriots, we can claim the same right to our land to take it back from the globalist, acknowledging common law and dismantling America's corrupt constitutional incorporation heist. We can claim our sovereign citizenship as one nation under God, just as the Israelites did, right? We can do all those things, but we have to know who we are. We have to have clean hearts before we embark on this. So many people get taken down because they don't know who they are. They want to go out there and fight, and they don't even have their armor on. They've not been trained. They don't have the right gun for the mission. So returning back to Deuteronomy 1, so Moses has recounted to all the Israelites, he's basically told them, you messed up, guys. It's time to break camp and go, uh, it was time to break camp and go possess the land, and you basically didn't do it. So what he did then is he put some good commanders in place. And then they headed out to the hills as instructed by the Lord. Moses says in Deuteronomy 1.20, I told you at that time, you've reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. Look, the Lord your God, again he says it, the Lord your God has given you this land. Go and possess it. Just as the Lord, the, the Lord God of your ancestors commanded you, don't be afraid, no fear, or discouraged. What did God say about this land? What's he said about your land, our country? Whose is it? Who was it dedicated to? It was dedicated to that same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We shouldn't even worry about whose it is. It's ours. It belongs to the Lord, and we are his ambassadors. We are in him. So what had happened at that point, Moses' men said, oh, no, we, we don't have that kind of faith. We want to go spy it out. And you guys know what happened when they went to spy it out. They got fearful, came back, spread a lot of fear, and there was only two worthy, two good men, right? 
Caleb and Joshua, all right? So this is so cool. Numbers 1331. This is the spies, the fearful spies. But the men who had gone with him said, we can't attack those people. They're too strong for us. So they began to spread lies. They spread lies right here in the word of God. They spread lies among the Israelites about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored is one that devours those who live there. All the people we saw there are very tall. We saw Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak are Nephilim. We felt as small as grasshoppers, and that's how we must have looked to them. Now, we know the end of the story. We know that the Israelites under Joshua did go and what? They possessed the land, all right? So all that was a big, fat lie. The faithless men who thought the enemy was bigger than their God did not get to enter the promised land. Military men and women, patriots and prayer warriors. What does this tell you about the threat of aliens, Nephilim, lizard people, the ET-looking beings that were just presented to the Mexican parliament a week ago? I'm serious. What does it tell you? It tells us that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that created you and me in his own image, we look like him, that he's greater than all other gods. They're mentioned in the Bible. He's greater. We're in his image. We possess his authority. And that if we follow him, his word, and his commandments, he will protect us. So do not be confused. Satan will use the threat of aliens from outer space to suggest that the world needs to unite into a one-world government. That's the spirit of Antichrist, okay? It's all in the word. Do not fall for it. When we discover that Area 51 is real, do not be afraid. No matter what evidence of extraterrestrial life is presented, God will protect us, okay? Hearken to his word. This is nothing new, okay? God protects his people of covenant. That's you and his lands of covenants that we live on. If we obey and we use our authority in Christ to kick the ites out of the land. So we're going to do some ite kicking. <laughs> Got your boots on? <laughs> we're going to kick some ites out of our own hearts. And we're going to kick some ites out of the land. Okay, so continuing on in Deuteronomy, who does God tell Moses will possess the promised land? And this is the cool thing. Because I've been listening to Scott's broadcast. And who's he been talking about? The children. God said, except for Caleb, who had a good, faithful report, and Joshua, all of you who are at least 20 years old, who were just registered and listed, and who complained about me, will die. That's Numbers 1429. That's the penalty for not trusting the God of covenant. That's, you know, 20 years old, that's a kid to me. So the Israelites had doubted God even after he fed them daily. A, cloud, a fire by night and a cloud by day. Manna. He parted the Red Sea. He did all these miracles and they still doubted. And you know what? 
But for this covenant we're in, where Jesus is dwelling in our bodies, we might have been that same faithless crowd. Could have been. So I'm going to ask you. Oh, let me read this. Deuteronomy 139. Moreover, your little ones, the children who you said would become a prey, and your sons who this day have no knowledge of good and evil shall enter there, and I will give it to them and they shall possess it. Who does he say is going to possess the land? The children, right? So how are we going to take America back and possess the heartland patriots? The children, that is one key. That is one key. How many of you are called to work with children? How many of you help rescue children? Okay, there you go. So basically Jesus is saying, and the Bible is saying, by becoming like little children who trust God no matter how big the enemy is and how big he looks, and that we will possess the land by protecting them and trusting him like a little child. There's a few things bringing this current day. You know, this is the essence of Bard Fest, Bard's Fest. It's patriots on a mission for God and country, and then it's all about the children, okay? So that's what Scott was talking about on his podcast, and I don't know about you, but I'm sick of hearing about adrenochrome from tortured children. It absolutely grieves me. I'm sick of reading about the elite and what they're doing the satanic child sacrifice. I'm sick of hearing about the horrific rape trees outside the border. I'm sick of it. So many people hear these things and we want to do something and we don't know what. But God has a plan and you're getting equipped. We're part of the plan. I could go on and on about this, but in Matthew 18:1, Jesus basically says the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the children. He said, at that time, the disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> he called a little child to him. And what did he say? He put the child right there in the middle of him, of all of the disciples. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How's that for some humility, Brad Cummins? <laughs> Amen. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better if what? A millstone, that's it. A millstone, you all saw it if you saw uh, the movie, the Jim Caviezel movie about rescuing the children. It'd be better if a millstone was hung around their necks and they were drowned in the earth. So um, this is part of what we have called Operation Vineyard. And I want to roll a little clip here if we can get that to work. Do we think that works? Is it okay to roll the clip? Okay. All right. It's the clip about um, heaven is for real. Okay. So we do not have the clip. The devil has attacked this very expensive system that we bought. However, I have uploaded it to resistancechicks.com on today's show along with Donica is graciously giving you her whole workbook. It's a $50 value for free to download. And that is on my website, resistancechicks.com. 
click on today's show. She has three slides that she was supposed to be able to show you and the devil said no and I said no back. Okay. Okay. All right. So we'll roll with it. I'm flexible. So what basically what happens in that shot, I don't know if you all saw the Todd Burpo movie. It was years ago. I think it was like 2014 or something like that. But it's about a four-year-old, Colton Burpo. He basically, um, his dad's the pastor of Wesleyan Church in Nebraska, and little Colton experienced heaven during an emergency surgery. He was, he had acute appendicitis, and he describes to his family, who's incredulous about this, they couldn't believe it, about having seen the surgeon operating on his ruptured appendix. He saw his mom calling people in the waiting room on the phone, and then he saw his dad in another room yelling at God not to let him die, okay? Um, he also speaks of incidents with people he never met. He met his great-grandfather who had died while he was in heaven long before he was born, and an unborn sister he never knew about who had died, and she had died in her mom's tummy, and that's what she told him. So basically the clip is the little, the little boy's in heaven, he's four years old, and he sees his sister, and she wouldn't stop hugging him, and she tells him, I'm your sister, I died in mommy's tummy. Okay, and so in the clip, he tells his mom about this, and she had never told him that she had a miscarriage, okay? And so she's visibly shaken, and this causes a whole, it sparks a whole media thing. So she asks him, well, what was her name? And he says, she didn't have a name, Mommy. You never named her because you didn't know. And basically, she, they didn't know if she was a boy or a girl, so they didn't name him. So, you know, there's, so d does the picture of Jesus work, can that shine up there, or does this not work at all? It, um, oh, okay, all right, well, we'll skip over that part, too. <laughs> so the gist of it is, um, when, what happened is I went on the, uh, to minister out in Michigan years ago, and this movie was out, came back, and went to that movie, and I have three children. I lost a child between my second and third, and never named her. And I was watching this movie, and I nudged my husband, I said, you know, we need to name that baby that we lost between our second and third child. And I said, I think it was a little girl, and I said, I think she had brown hair and ponytails like me. Maybe I'm just, wishful thinking, but I think we should name her Sophia. He said, okay. That was a Saturday night. Sunday morning, we get up to drive to church. We stop to eat breakfast on the way because it was a long drive. And there's this dad sitting there at a table with a little girl with brown hair and ponytails. And it was time to leave and I kept noticing her and I was not thinking anything. And I was leaving the restaurant and he says, come on, Sophia. And I just stopped at the door. And I knew that that was God confirming to me, you named your child in heaven, and I heard you. I heard you. Yeah. So the picture I was going to show you was a painting of Jesus that another eight-year-old little girl did. And when little Colton Burpo in the movie Heaven is for Real saw the picture of Jesus, he said, that's the one, Dad. That's the real Jesus. Well, this little girl had prayed all day until he came 
to meet her. And if you go onto her, her website to see the painting, it's called Prince of Peace that she painted at eight years old. Her name is Akian Kramerick. And I just think that that speaks to the innocence and the purity of the children, that they can see heaven, the kingdom of God. And I had already interviewed a pastor from South Africa who had actually died three times. He flatlined. He's on my prayer board. I've known him for 20 years. And he had said the same thing before this movie came out. The children that, that died early, either through abortion or miscarriage or whatever way, didn't have names. There could be children that you all have rescued that didn't have names. The stories I've heard are horrific. So when you look at all of this, and you put it together and you start calculating, it could, it could be millions. So in both the Gospels, in Matthew 19, 14 and Mark 10, 14, Jesus said, let the children alone. Do not hinder them from coming to me, for such is the kingdom of God, right? Okay, so when Leah called me, she prophesied to me, and she probably doesn't even remember all of it. But she said, Donica, I feel like you have this word, and it's an unrefined word you've never given. And I knew immediately as soon as she said that, the Holy Spirit says to me, it's time to name the children. Okay? So, on the back, flip over your heart tablets. You see the cross, okay? Whoever's lost children, men, women, no matter what way you lost them, if they don't have a name, it's time to name them. It could be a grandchild, okay? God wants you to be healed up from that, okay? We're in the year of 5784, Rosh Hashanah, and four is a door. It's literally the Hebrew letters look like symbols too. And so um, I want to talk about that really quickly. This is, we're in the days of awe, okay? And on the 24th, I think that's Monday, next Monday, um, is the time that they end and we take communion but during these 10 days of awe, it's when we're to seek God. He is meeting us. He is cleansing us. He's healing us from every tragedy, from every foul thing that the enemy has tried to so easily beset us with. And so don't miss his visitation here. Take time. If you need to take this worksheet, go back to your tent or your hotel room and have time with God and take it seriously. We also want to pray with you afterwards. So this 5784, when I, I bought this crazy little thing I found on Amazon. It's one of these things you scan a room, you know, you see if there's any hidden cameras, okay? So... I didn't know if this thing worked, but I thought, I'm going to a hotel, so I'm going to take this thing. So I'm getting in the car, and I'm clicking all the buttons because I'm charging it on the way here, and it pops up on there, and it reads, door is open. And I had one leg out of the car door, and I'm like, how would it know my car door was open? Well, it didn't. It wasn't connected to the, to the web or anything. And I just dismissed it, you know, kept charging the thing. So I shut my car door, and then I was talking to Leah and Michelle, and we were talking about 5784. Mind you, I'm writing a book called Hope for Humanity about this decade of pay, P-E-Y, is the Hebrew word for mouth, and um, the revelation on that and, and all of the, the things that go along with that. And the Lord, he, it, there's two things in this Hebrew year of 5784 that we've entered into. There are doors that need to be open, and there's doors that need to be shut. We need to walk through some. How are we doing on time? 
Yeah. The Lord has given us more time with Miss Donica. Because the band is set for a different time. Okay. So we got time to do some ministry. Okay, let's do We got about 25 minutes. Okay. Are y'all ready to have your world rock with Jesus in the next 25 minutes? I'm serious. Like we were talking about life changing. You came here to have your life transformed change. We got some time. And then we got that band back there, bluegrass. You don't want to just stick. It's, it's literally like they're bringing the fire of God with that music. Twenty-five minutes. In twenty-five more minutes, yeah. I'll do it quicker. No, we're doing. That's what I'm saying. Ministry. Let's do that's ministry. What, yeah. Let's that's do okay. It. Let's do it. Okay. So what I want you to do right now, if any of this is ministering to you, I want all the prayer ministers to line up right here. All of you, come on, prayer ministers. Come on, Brad. There was there were some others that were going to help. Where's Devin? Where's Devin? Come on. Come on, Devin. Where's Paul Cantrell? Okay. All right. So we're going to bring this thing home. In this 10 days of all, doors you need to open, doors you need to close, lies you believe that need to be erased, children that may need to be named, all of these things are part of inner healing, and they break strongholds. So we have a team of prayer leaders up here. I want you to pray. I want you to ask God, what is it you want me to do? Why don't everybody just stand right now? Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are here. You are visiting us on your calendar. Everyone who came to Bard's Fest came because they know you have something for them. So I pray against all fear, trepidation, anything that the enemy would try and do to hinder them in any way. And I pray right now, no fear. I pray that it would be replaced with total faith and trust in you like little children. Father, your word says, trust, suffer the little children to come unto me. Lord, your word says, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. You also promise through this new and better covenant that we would be healed, delivered, and set free to live the abundant life. So I want you to think right now, God, do you want me to get prayer? If so, come now, right now. Come down right now if you want some prayer. They are here. They will share with you what God puts on their heart. Come on down. Lord, I just thank you, Father God. You are moving us out of victimization into victory. There is no temptation that has taken us such as is common to man. You make a way of escape for us in every situation. Father, we do not have to fear because you have already overcome. The enemy is under your feet. You give us the ability to tread over serpents and scorpions and all manner of evil, and nothing shall by any means hurt us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be the one that you wept over because we missed the time of your visitation. Lord, you know, I know that you're meeting us here. You're meeting us right now. 
just put your hands in a position to receive from God if you don't already have them that way. Lord, I pray right now, speak to each person individually. Give them what they need, Lord. Speak to them down in the innermost parts of their being. Heal them, Lord. You are the great physician. Touch them where no earthly physician could. Meet their needs, Father. Replace lies with your truth and bring freedom. Bring freedom now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, that there are no weapons on this earth or in the heavens formed against your people that are going to be able to prosper over anyone here. We are in you, and you are a good daddy. You are faithful. You are setting us free. You're delivering us. You provide safety. As for us in our houses, we will serve the Lord. As for us in our homesteads, we will serve the Lord. We thank you, God, that we are part of the body of Christ. Your word is our plumb line, and we trust you. Lord, I'm reminded, God, of your word that says, your word did strike my heart, Lord, and I loved thee. God, your word, your written proof that you will never leave us or forsake us strikes our hearts now, and we love